burst off after reading that little line. I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with. Yeah, in a group they might come and fucking intimidate me and whatnot. But fuck, they do not understand what the fuck just one person like myself is capable of. They do not fucking understand. No fucking vaccine or MRA will ever flow through my fucking blood blood. Never! I will fucking die fucking fighting for my forefathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers. folks uh, time for another stream another jihad uh, stream of consciousness it's gonna be a good one today we're gonna to be speaking uh, what should we say? uh the <laughs> the pain the pain of the zunati as their uh, narrative just keeps crumbling i have uh steve waiting in the zoom chat already so rather than keep him waiting because we're still waiting on charles he's getting pizza as usual and uh, let's let's get right into it folks oh and of course today uh as we've got uh feed the marine feed the marine donos to uh commander rixie uh if they come in and uh right let's uh let's get on hope the soundboard behaves yes nice and little oh god of course i should have done that prep before and let me just steve to unmute Chat on. All right. Uh, do, 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 do. Steve, can you hear me? I can. Oh, uh, hi. hi. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Uh, very well. I'm certainly looking forward to this. I'm just we're, we're still waiting on Charles. He's uh, he's on a mission for pizza. He was he was standing out the front of the pizza shop when I spoke to him about 20 minutes ago. So I'm hoping Sweet. he'll he'll be along in a second. So. Um, I did. Uh, I did tag uh, Stuart Neil on this. Oh, okay. So maybe he might join us. 
<laughs> I doubt it. In the it, chats, at least. <laughs> he hates me, bro. He hates yeah. me. Oh, he does? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I just, just, I just memed the shit out of him, and uh, he's just, uh, he's just. Oh, such, I remember that. Yeah, I remember he's that. such an easy target, and um, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, I'm detecting a little. What sounds like British accent to me. Is that? It is. Yeah, originally. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, yeah. I guess you don't mind uh, letting. Can I? Are you? Can you talk about that, or do you want to just yeah. stay? Stay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I. Uh, no. I'm. I. Yeah. So I'm. Uh, uh, from originally from the the UK, and uh, I've lived uh, overseas quite a quite a bit, probably most of my life. Mm. Um, Same. So in ver various. Uh, <laughs> right, and it. it uh, yeah, but with neither of us have lost the accent, obviously. And, no, uh, no. So, uh, it never, it never leaves, does it? And uh, no, and yeah, I, uh, I, I find the uh, if I, uh, as you say, turn up the gain on the uh, Cockney accent, yeah. uh, it makes uh, people find it funny, and that's that's a lot right. of the reason why I do what I do. Yeah, it's, it's novelty, isn't it? It's, it's something a little bit different, I think. Mm -mm. So, yeah. no, there's a obviously a couple of um topics that we could go over of course there's the um nipper clones and what have you but that, that, that's kind of a uh, older yeah. longer yeah. story the the big the big deal at the moment of course is the well i i, I would just call it a collapse in the in the zunadi narrative basically the especially after the uh Chinese Center for Disease Control, what's his name, Gao, right? Um, put out put out their analysis, which showed that, well, it showed not much, right? That was, uh... there was nothing. There was nothing there. Mm. <laughs> it was quite an anticlimax after all of that build up, mm. all that media hoopla, and yeah, and then you know, then there was absolutely nothing really in that paper. So maybe you can. Um, tell people the well. Get, there's such a rich background, <laughs> historic really? in historic terms. Um, perhaps you can just sort of fill people in on exactly what what happened, when, etc. Um, uh, yeah, regarding uh, you're right. There's a there's a lot of history here, but I, I guess I'll focus on the the recent story, which is the uh, raccoon dog. Mm. in Broglio and um so uh so this sort of started well I suppose it started last year when uh George Gao who's the was at that time the head of the Chinese CDC and now he's the former head of the Chinese CDC he published a a preprint uh on uh, the Huanan seafood market which uh, has had a lot of attention as a potential source of COVID-19 of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm. So he um, he published uh, this preprint, but actually on the same day that he published this, uh, the, um, uh, the Raccoon Dog Group, as I shall call them, uh, they published uh, two uh, papers, uh, two, two of their own preprints. Mm. And so they stole the thunder of, of George Gow, who was essentially saying what he said in the paper that he published last week, uh, which is that there's nothing to see here, folks, uh, in the uh, in the market. Um, and so they uh, basically it was a strategy to try and 
suppress uh, the story um, of you know the market not not being the origin of, of COVID nineteen, mm. uh, and so then um, there was a delay of about a a year, um, and then uh, but in the meantime, uh, the Raccoon Dog Group they published they went on to publish their preprints in Science magazine. So there were two two papers, one by Warabi et al. and um, that looked at the uh, the market itself, uh, the the spatio temporal, temporal, well, actually just the spatial um, modeling of of uh, environmental uh, positive cases, etc. In the uh, in the market, and then uh, there was Picar et al., which was a a modeling uh, paper that attempted to claim that there were two independent zoonoses from a mystery intermediate animal, uh, and then, uh, then lightning got... striking twice in the same. <laughs> Oh, it's incredible. And then it just vanished. Yeah. So it just, it popped up in the middle of Wuhan and then it just it infected two people independently. Then it just mm. vanished into thin air. Mm. Uh, and then, um, so they, those two papers, uh, they generated quite a bit of criticism uh, because there were a lot of um, flaws in, in those uh, yeah, papers, it was like the kernel analysis, right? And the this over smoothing mm. and uh, strategic emissions of, of key key data sets and data points, um, and it was all very uh, contentious. Uh, the actual, you know, the empirical data they were looking at, but also the modeling as well was quite odd and uh, opaque, very difficult to interpret. Mm. Um, and so uh, they uh, generated a lot of um, preprints. And uh, Michael Bolter, um, who's a, a, a former science journalist, he, he posts on Twitter. He um, wrote a, a uh, an article, a blog called uh, "Attack of the Killer Preprints." And so, about <laughs> six or seven preprints that were attacking these two papers. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are a lot of flaws and not a lot of problems with it. And the language they were using was very sort of. Um, uh not very straightforward at all and um and i'm being polite there but um the but then um the, I, I'll, um... I'll just uh say this steve um I, let's just say i have a uh potty mouth on this stream if you if you feel you've got yeah, a okay. <laughs> feel for it don't don't worry about uh <laughs> i won't hold back <laughs> don't hold back but, uh, but yeah uh but um uh, yeah, so they they um, uh, they these two papers sort of you know were surprising that they were published in that in that journal and it's take, the journals take a lot of flat, but of course the editor there is very mm. seems to be very biased, hold, holding for and uh, against you know the lab leak hypothesis. So so anyway, there, there, that has been a sort of continuing sort of saga, the the challenge um, to to those two papers, but then the um, uh, the data, the sequence data for Gao et al., uh, which hadn't been made available when they published their preprint, suddenly appeared on uh, GSAID, the mm -hmm. database. Um, and But nobody knew about this apart from a few uh, people noticed it and they didn't, you know, they didn't broadcast the news. They, they downloaded the data and went ahead with their uh, analysis and so this was the uh, raccoon dog group so flow flow they... de bear the uh yeah thing. so she yeah she, she she found the data um she, she just just it. happened to find it right she was just just in yeah there the just right... i mean that's what you do isn't it you you sort of spend these evenings you know browsing 
just say he's looking for <laughs> data sets to magically appear. So uh, yeah, so it, you know it was quite remarkable. Uh, and then, but you know, it uh, they uh, they didn't tell anyone. They just kept kept the information to themselves. And then they, but they went ahead and analyzed the data. And then that this is when the whole circus uh, started because they they. Uh, they there's even like a little timeline they they gave the dates when they found when they downloaded the data then apparently later that afternoon they had finished their preliminary analysis and they'd made their incredible discovery and then three days later they 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 presented it to the uh to the who to the sago committee in an emergency session Mm. and so you know they were just really um uh very melodramatic and theatrical and and, uh, and and it was you know so one would expect some sort of major well, major d- d- from what <laughs> I've seen and you know I've I have been in this sort of lab origin fight as well I tend I tend not to focus on it now because I I'm I don't, I say, I don't want to talk about myself too much you're you're the guest but um it was it was just so obvious that they were lying from the get go in, in my opinion and with what they've done is engage in, well, gaming the system and essentially science by press release. And and they're obviously getting help on the inside, as you said. Science as a journal has been way more accommodating than, well, we, we, I would have expected the journal to be and you know it's just it's it's essentially it's just it's shown how corrupt the journal system is at the moment the and you know the people trying to get in the high impact journals etc and it's all all those journals it's very nepotistic networks and um you scratch my back i'll scratch your back kind of thing and it's it's disgusting um from my perspective but i'm i'm so glad that you guys have um you know continue to um fight that fight that good good fight and the the world owes you yeah so the the the, yeah i agree i think with the uh with what you said about you know the publication process and you know it's, it's always been like that they've always been sort of games going on and cliques and cartels and all that but um i think that this is very ex- exceptional and unprecedented what what's been happening with this because it's, it's been so sort of blatant and uh, overt uh and i've you know it's all in the open it's all on on the you know the public square and uh it's 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 been quite um shameless um to say say the least and i think that's quite um quite novel and um especially for what what used to be a prestigious you know journal um uh science and i say used to be because i think it's lost some of its sheen oh yeah uh, all all of them have all the top journals once they started publishing those letters with respect to um yeah the lancet right right. that that was isn't that the world's top top medical journal yeah yeah and yeah so they they've really uh you know succumbed to uh uh to uh i I don't know what filthy lucre i guess and uh Mm. yeah to to profit and um and it it really shows and uh so 
So we have yeah. Charles joined us. Um, have you guys spoke in real time before? Or was it just no, not not in real time. No, no, we, we've chatted, but no. Mm. Okay. <laughs> no, it's good to find. It's good to find the major man. It's, you too, Charles. Nice to meet you. And yes, you're right about the the filthy lucre, the, the filthiest of the lucre, actually. Um, and I'm going to turn off my video, I think, just to save my bandwidth. But um, I don't even know if you know, but in my latest update of, of the statistics that I've been tracking for the censorship and the narrative control, in the top six journals, so Nature, Science, Cell, and this was at the time when I, when I first did it, um, I got there's three more, New England Journal of Medicine, um, no, I'm a rain fart, but anyway, Lancet, right, right. you didn't, you didn't say Lancet. Yeah, the Lancet, they don't really count. Um, oh, and then PNAS is the other one. Yeah. And so in the, in the top six journals and in their, uh, subordinate journals, I don't really know what else you'd call them. I'm not a scientist. Um, but in those top six, you had, um, I'm going to get this wrong, but it was something to the effect of, oh, geez, now well, I think it was like 136 to seven in terms of there were only seven articles in all those journals that had any, were even open to the possibility of there being a lab leak. And most of those were the, were the group open letters that were being written by us and others just trying to allow for saying, Hey, we probably should be investigating this. And so whatever the number exact number was, it was a 19 to one ratio. And if you take out the, the neutral ones, and this is just all from all the now 2,500 articles that I track in my resource. And so what you've seen is that in those top journals, there was a massive push to prevent anything against the narrative from coming out. But in everything else, the ratio was like 1.6 to 1. So it was much, much closer to being an even fight. And in every other type of media, newspaper, magazines, everything else, it was overwhelming at least two to 1 uh, lab leak or lab origin was far outweighed the any like even in the new york times there were more lab origin leaning articles than zoonosis it just feels like there's this consensus because at the top all the journals that everybody reads they had a massive iron grip and they still do yeah agreed um so i, I i've enabled if, if anyone wants to share screens and data etc um you should be able to and you know this despite the memes and what have you i do like to get into the weeds with the science and is there do you have anything that you could sort of show the public um the work that you have been doing steve and how these sequences well the phantom SAR sequence i would call it right now oh the uh the, the you mean the one <laughs> <laughs> the one SARS two read, mm. uh, yeah. Um, I got um, so I got my Twitter thread somewhere. Um, I suppose I could show that. How, yeah, how does that yeah. sound? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me just let me just uh, see if I can find it. 
this is a pretty relaxed uh, stream, so yeah, yeah. just yeah, take uh, take yeah. your time, bro. And, uh... I will. I'm, I'm tapping away slowly here. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when did you leave the UK? As you're, as you're looking for that. Oh, oh, uh, golly, that was that was a long time ago. That was uh, twenty twenty three years ago. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, I left in twenty 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 um for uh florida and then spent some time in uh in wyoming and then down to uh puerto rico uh, that's where i'm located currently oh okay um, um yeah maybe uh, uh <laughs> introduce you to uh maples he's uh, maple syrup um in uh no costa rica he's in sorry oh in costa rica wow yeah yeah um but he's a he's another nice. force i don't know if you know maples He's, he's been in, yeah he's um he's uh frontline uh clinician and you know it's just been like the horror stories that have been coming out or he's been saying and you know costa rica has essentially sold its soul to pfizer by the sounds of it and they were they were mandating shots in kids and all this kind of um how should we say egregious abuse of sort of state uh powers and um yeah he's a he's a good one to uh bounce bounce ideas off and uh very 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 smart cookie so um is he on twitter uh sometimes yeah, sometimes but most of the time on telegram mm -hmm. oh, oh okay okay great but, um very yeah very very oh, sharp oh. dude I'll look him up. Yeah, there have been some of the some Latin American countries were very, very um, uh, harsh in the uh, the measures that they they imposed. And uh, I went to Panama um, uh, last year, uh, last last Christmas, and it was it was frightening. I mean, they had you know um, armed paramilitaries on the streets uh and the population Is it, isn't that just normal though for south america i thought that and it might be actually and it, it, <laughs> i think it depends where you are and uh but I, that might be normal for panama and the, the population looked terrified and again that might be might, sadly might be normal there so <laughs> yeah i don't well i don't know i watched scarface again over the weekend and <laughs> was... uh, well he was cuban wasn't he, he, was, he was uh, yeah cuban but uh yeah they're all the same yeah. to me <laughs> <laughs> so uh okay so i've got my uh screen here uh how do i do this so i share yeah it should just be out share and, yeah. um it'll pop up so you've been working with uh yuri and adrian and um i'm not sure dr a ek say that thing oh, uh minute. with Adrian, Dayu, Yuri, mm, mm, mm. Uh, yeah, and Stephen. Yeah. Uh, on uh, yeah, so we've been working together on yeah, a number of different projects. And can mm. you see the screen now? Yes, we can. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, so I've been working with them and doing you know uh, a lot of um, biophatic analysis mm. of uh, of rogue data sets, and uh, and we we've done a lot of different types of things and. Uh, and part of what came out of that was uh, I um, developed this sort of method for scanning for coronaviruses. And this, this is what you can see here. 
so um and you can see my my pointer here but um yes we can it, it, yeah it so it, what you it's have such a great it, bio as well epistemic trespasser i always think i always think of that I, one. I got <laughs> i got that one from uh uh and angela rasmussen so oh no she, uh, oh that's right that angie right. <laughs> she's been she's been I, she thinks it's an insult i think it's a compliment myself so uh what's really, what's really funny about that is that uh I, she took, like, I made fun of her and um, came up with uh, like a matrix themed meme. And I put ad hominatrix. And she ended up putting that in her own description. So I guess we kind of traded. Wow. <laughs> I, remember, I remember when she did that. Yeah. And she, yeah. she didn't put my description of her in her bio. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one made nature <laughs> hey you always wanted to you always want to hit the big time yep yep let's say if, we, if, all, if that's uh all you had to do to get published in nature i'd have done it far far earlier all <laughs> the wasted uh years attempting to but anyway we're digressing so um so yeah if we could maybe explain to the public what we're looking at here what so this is actually looking at here yeah. a bunch of numbers this is what bioinformaticians do they generate tables full of numbers and, but what we're what we're seeing here is um uh this is a scan of so what i did here was i took the uh the uh the the holy sample q61 which is the one with the you know this 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 uh this raccoon dog that apparently you know infected several people and uh, with different lineages of, of SARS-CoV-2. So this was Q61, which was the one that the raccoon dog group were raving about on media and saying it was, you know, the solution to the pandemic, et cetera, yada, yada. And they had the emergency session of Sago. And then they were pressuring, you know, the, the Chinese group uh, who were about to publish. And, uh, and I think they were getting uh, quite upset about the whole thing. And so, um, so Q61 is the sample from the Huanan seafood market that was sampled um, in early January. And they uh, proclaimed that they had found um, a raccoon dog in, in this particular sample. Wasn't, wasn't it a glove, that sample? Uh, the other one, the glove was A20. So that one was lineage A, they claim. Uh, but again, that one was only trace. I'm still looking at that, but from what I've, my preliminary results is showing that it's it's just a trace again of, of SARS-CoV-2 in that one. Um, so this one, this is the uh, you know the the sacred sample, uh, and it it um, you know they claimed it was dominated by raccoon dog, and um, so I did do a um, analysis of all the different animals in there. So a mitochondrial, what's called a mitochondrial analysis, which is uh, you look for mitochondrial sequences from different animals. And the reason you use mitochondria in forensics is because mitochondria have a lot of high copy number. So there's a lot of nucleic acid in there. Uh, it's fairly resistant to, to degradation. And also the sequences give you a lot of phylogenetic information, which a lot of sequences don't tell you much. And But the mitochondria do actually uh, in, in mammals. So... So I found, I did indeed find raccoon dog, but actually there was a large quantity of duck, um, <laughs> duck in there as well. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking at that table and, uh, uh, yeah, and Alphakov so is, that's leaps out at me. And, you know, have they yes. said anything about that as uh, being 
not that I've I've seen it. Mind you, I've been blocked by by all of them, but most of them. But uh, but yeah. So this table here is actually the the actual coronaviruses that are in this sample. So one might expect if this is the key to the pandemic, it should have some <laughs> SARS-CoV-2 in there. Mm. Uh, so it's certainly got raccoon dog in there. You know, I confirmed that. And but there's a lot of other things in there as well. So pretty much all of the most of the animals that were listed as being sold there. A large proportion of them were actually in this one sample. Uh, so there are traces of all sorts of different beasts in there, mm. um, and um, and then uh, you know so I, but it was dominant. It was a large proportion was raccoon dog, and so you know if this is the the magical intermediate host, then you would expect there to be you know quite a lot of SARS two in there. And so I did this uh, scan, and so what it is is it checks. The sequences in the sample against every, uh, against 260 different coronavirus genomes, and it pulls out the hits essentially. And these are the only hits that I found. And so you notice the alpha coronavirus here. It has 92,000 reads. That's a lot, but there's a problem. It only the coverage of the genome is only 0.5 percent. So only 5.5 percent of the genome have reads matching to it and so i pub i published this last week um and then after the chinese published their paper so i waited for them to publish their paper before i you know published the analysis and then um and then this was sort of the initial look and so there was this here but it's anomalous because the um the coverage is very low and then likewise if you look at all the other coronaviruses the coverage is very very low including SARS-2. So SARS-2 is only 0.3%. And I found 137 reads, but I didn't use any filtration. So I just, you know, I do like a, a sort of a, I like to cast my net wide, if you like, and, and on the first pass and then see what I what comes up. But it's been pointed out subsequently um, by, uh, by Adrian Jones and by uh, Moreno, I, I forget his second name. But yeah, I know, I know who you're on about. Um, yeah, and they, they, they did some filtration and they, they came up with one, one read, SARS-2 read. Um, and so <laughs> that's the merest glimmer of a, you know, of a sequence. And, um, and it, then, and Anon was, you know, contacted me and Anon colleague contacted me and, he, uh, uh, you know, suggested that it might actually, what commonly happens is that when you're doing reverse transcription, there's this vial of re reverse transcriptase and they've noticed that they get um, contamination in that vial, uh, trace contamination. And apparently it's very, very, very hard to uh, avoid, even with the best, you know, best intention. So, so, so manufacturing, at the manufacturing level for that reverse transcriptase, the presumption is that someone who had SARS is what handling or in uh, in the vicinity or no uh, no I think it's when um, when you're aliquoting your reverse transcriptase into all these samples mm. um, it, the pipette can become contaminated I guess or maybe aerosols or I'm I'm not quite sure of the mechanism there but. Um, uh, but there, there's you know little little droplets potentially and and um, but I think potentially it might be if they're not using filter tips then the the material can enter the pipette and 
uh, and then you will you will release it when you you know um, get another aliquot of of enzyme. And so he says that he's noticed this um, in his lab, and uh, that um, for that reason they use a threshold cutoff um, in order to say yes, there's definitely SARS two in a particular sample. So that sort of cast doubt on you know whether it's actually you know from this raccoon dog at all or from this from this uh q61 sample at all and well, i was actually i was actually going to ask um that alpha cove what animal is that alpha cove from well hold your breath that one is from, from bat so oh. that so there was bat soup in the market yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'll see like there's there's actually these the little human ones here yeah. <laughs> well the the reason you know i i would you know my my rationale for the bats is so these are from actually rhinolophus bats and um and then right. uh, uh the zx c21 is a sarcovirus as i recall and that's um, right yeah they um but the thing is there's this very strong sample bias in the databases toward bat coronaviruses um, and so it could be cross mapping um from the others but um so if it hits this one it may also hit these as well so that could be happening but also um you know it's uh, there's this massive over representation of bat coronaviruses in the genomic database so when you're searching when you get a hit it's likely to be from a, right. a bat coronavirus that's, that's my sort of interpretation of uh, that and then likewise potentially the humans as well and uh, the um which part of the genome does it tell you which part of the genome that you're pulling it? I presume it does. Oh, that's that's my next step. And the but Adrian actually did this, so he did the mapping, uh, and then he he thinks that 136 of these reads are are uh, are um, uh, artifacts, and that there's one yes. single one that actually <laughs> matches bona fide match. Wow. And that's I, out of 230 million reads. There's I, I 230 just, million reads in this. 230 film. million, and there's one human, there's one SARS-2, and yep. nothing really for raccoon dogs. That's pretty cool. And well, I just, I, I just want to ask a quick. Do, do you have uh, the image of their heat map to hand, just so people can get an idea of what um, Warabi and um, Picar were sort of arguing for, which is this distribution through the wet market rate and they've got this strong heat map that's around well the toilets basically. Uh, i might let's have a look uh, I I, 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 oh i, I can't, can't show you this though oh i can't show you some of these uh but <laughs> hey i'm very drastic Blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. uh this is this is our draft uh, here and uh or and so yeah we have a heat map here uh which um let's see if it's still there there we go yeah so this heat map uh was um uh, the data was from warabi et al so this is the raccoon dog group uh and they published this is the paper they published in science last yeah and this is the just the numbers of samples that were taken so what it's showing is um, there's two sides to the market here, uh, and then um, uh, then these are the samples that were taken, and this is the wildlife. These are the wildlife stalls here, 
and then also you know and these are the toilets here um and so there's heavy sampling bias uh, in the area of the wildlife uh stores um which they didn't uh, really uh attempt to correct for um and so this is um the um uh the heat map uh based on their data but with a with a refined um with with bias accounted for and so if you look at this here it shows so these are the positive environmental samples and so um once you correct for uh, the total number of samples that are taken uh then um uh, one could do a, a statistical analysis and show that um the only statistically um uh, significant area of the market uh, which are associated with positive samples is actually this little green dot there and that was in warby et al but it wasn't uh I, well no i don't think they even put the green dot in there so so they had the sort of the heat oh yeah they, just, they just make it look like there's this huge coverage through that that side yeah. of the market right <laughs> it's yeah. a, it, it was a shocking um display of well yeah, of over, over, yeah, over, <laughs> over, over smoothing again, yeah. over, over smoothing, and then. But actually, this is the only. So they didn't again by omission. They didn't put in the key data point. The key data point were the toilets, and so this is where the toilets were and the mahjong room, mm. uh, and so they um, they they failed to indicate this, and this happens to be the only statistically significant association after this. You know, um, after the bias is, is corrected for. And well, for, forgive me, but did, did they know? I don't actually know if they knew that because when I, because I came across yeah. a photo that had the second floor with a little window and the, or the open balcony thing. And behind that, there was the bathroom and the stairs and the, and the little Mahjong room. Like, I didn't even know that was there. I just found some pictures from the market that were in a brief that. Dashik had given when he came back from his from the first or well from one of his WHO visits, and I I noticed like wow these are really weird and so I, so I I showed them to the group and I don't remember if you were in that particular like thread that we, or, or the private chat that we had but um, I forget who it was like Babar or Francisco or somebody was like holy cow yeah it's uh, Oh, well, I, I'm pretty sure that's where the bathroom is because we could see like a little bit of the bathroom, like sign or something. And sure enough. So I don't actually know if, if when they, at least when they did the preprints in February of 2022, that they knew that that bathroom was there. So yeah, that, that could be the case actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do one of you have the, it's such a telling picture. I want to, I want to say it was, uh, Francisco put out a tweet yesterday. He just had all the measure, some measurements on there and scaling. Oh, it was, it was fantastic what he did. Um, I don't know if I can, I can uh, maybe I can find it. Shall I have a yeah, look? Yeah, please. If, if I, mean, you well, I mean, I, or I could find it while you're doing that, and if you wanted to keep going. Um, yeah, maybe maybe that's a good way. Oh yeah, rather, maybe, rather than I don't know, that'd be more take a look. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, yeah. I can fake being useful occasionally, so. <laughs> <laughs> and so the well you, you, like you said they've they've blocked you and so i guess you don't get any 
what, what rumors are you hearing from the Zunadi side as uh, you're making these counter points and rebuttals to their data? Are uh, you, apart from yeah. epistemic trespassing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so I, I mean, I occasionally sort of come across their, you know, their. Um, their, their, their tweets so you know yeah, I, I browse incognito i can mm. i you know i can come across it but i don't s s invest much time into <laughs> following what they're saying but what i've noticed from the ones that i've come across and then people of course post screenshots is uh they they seem to be uh you know losing um you know um they're, they're sort of this rash rationale this sort of um sheen of rationality if you like and um so previously it was it was conducted in a you know in a scientific way i i would say even though it was perhaps a little ill-natured Ill but um now i think um it's becoming you know it's becoming a little they're becoming a little bit wild i think uh some, oh, yeah. some tweets and uh and the behavior but... is very becoming very um volatile I yeah which is you know it's why i've taken the approach that i've done over the years and it, it's not they, they don't deserve the the formality that you would normally be in place for science discussions in my opinion it was very obvious that they were lying it's very obvious that they had conflicts of interest very obvious that they would just been trying to game the system well basically for wherever you want to stick the pin in the timeline and um you know the they, they deserve the full fury of the internet coming down on them and they should uh you know meme to death is my sort of we're not, we're not gonna put their shit anymore sorry so, I, we're not gonna put up with their shit anymore mm, and speaking mm. of i just put the pictures of the toilet in the yeah i've got it i've got it up on the screen right now okay. and, and so um <clears throat> the epicenter that's marked there so that's your um on your screen that's that little green dot steve oops uh okay i just so, so people could, people can see the stream basically i hadn't keep your uh keep streaming your desktop but people can oh, okay see, yeah. yeah people yeah. can see the stream and the um the picture of the toilets and what have you and um, yeah okay and so the epicenter that's marked on that photo is that green dot on your analysis that right? little yeah right there yeah mm -hmm. and you know that that to me looks like a delivery entrance or takeout i don't know <laughs> Trying to, well, so first of all, I'd like the, I, the two pictures are in the chat. So if you go to the chat and the Zoom, mm -hmm. you guys should pull up the ones that we, they were talking about. But um, uh, what's really cool is that, like, I, I was kind of hands off because I'm always doing like 80 different projects. And, but like every day when, it, when we first started figuring this out, I would go in there and they would be like talking about measurements. And one person would, would have gotten like aerial satellite photos, like super zoomed in. Another one would have been 
looking at the internet archive for pictures that were a decade old just to see if they could like piece together like the exact images from it. It was really, it, it was like watching a very, like CSI, but with a bunch of internet trolls doing it. It was pretty, pretty fun. Pretty fun to watch. Um, yeah, may the trolling never stop as far as I'm concerned. So um, the... So your analysis says, sorry to keep asking you to switch. Um, so the Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, all those reads, and including that signal for the alpha uh, coronavirus, that's all that one spot, right? Just to help people visualize. Um, uh, no, they're, they're close. So the raccoon dog stall is is in that vicinity but it's uh it's not actually in that that area that's highlighted as sig uh, statistically significant it, it's not uh the raccoon dog stall is not in the statistically significant area yeah. the uh the toilets are yep right and uh, you know people think about SARS as a respiratory condition but it does have a lot of gut um oral. <laughs> yeah and you know, Chinese toilets are legendary for their, uh, how should we say, um, lack of lack of maintenance, put it that way. I've never heard this rumor, but I'll trust you on that one. Okay. I think I responded to Stuart Near where he was, um, I don't know, he, again, he was sort of making a critique of this, and I, I sort of sent him a picture of uh, you know, Chinese toilets, and it's dessert. Just to remind folks that, um, yeah, not every not everyone has these Western toilets, right? It's uh, squat down and um, do you do you think they you get them here in Japan as well? Um, but yeah, it's uh, it doesn't surprise me that there would be um, contamination, widespread contamination in that area, especially where you've got. Um, lavatories and and plumbing um why the significance of the mojang room um what's your takeaway from that uh the mahjong room uh yeah. so it's right above the uh the the toilet san francisco and the engineer have been doing great work this this week um um uh, detective work, um, generating, you know, photographs and, and, uh, videos, et cetera, that area. And so that, um, that, uh, picture that Charles posted in the chat, um, is the product of all of that investigation. Um, and it's, um, the engineer has done some threads and he's, uh, he's, um, indicated that, um, there are several, uh, cases um sars2 cases in the market who um uh visited the report visiting the mahjong uh room oh, okay that's so that's why it's uh... people within that yeah felt that that was where it came from that and the the toilets and so the lady who had the that's right first first infection the shrimp she worked on shrimp uh, they call her the, the, the shrimp lady. She, she, uh, she said, you know, she did an interview. She said she thought it got, she got it from the toilets. So, 
so that that's the sort of the the link with um uh, with all of those cases and uh yeah and for people who don't know mahjong the way it's a game that the the chinese love to gamble on and gambling is illegal in china and so they have to hide when they do it and so the room that they chose was away from everything it was on the second floor but not part of the second floor like mall that they had and so it was kind of isolated and it didn't have a bunch of circulating air or anything because it was just like a tiny little room and so basically you, know, you had four you'd have four players at any given time playing for several hours at a time in a tiny cramped room and multiple people playing these games were among the very first cases from the market. And it's the one thing that they don't want to talk about. Um, have the, do the Chinese talk about it or is, is it, um, uh... well, yeah, they, they like to, in fact, I found uh, like news stories and stuff where, because there was rumors that, that this was one of the places that they, that, that it might've come from because they, so like in Wuhan, they, they did kind of understand that they didn't really think it was necessarily the market. And as part of the whole like lockdown stuff, they, they closed down all these Mahjong rooms and actually you can go and watch videos of, of them like storming mm -hmm. rooms and being outdoors and whatnot. But, but this is like a, it's a very well-known cultural thing. And I was able to read from several different news stories from different times, all, uh, all the Chinese, all relating to this, this link and this understanding that the, the people who are playing this game were amongst some of the first people, even if it came from an animal. So, so they knew. Wow. They're, um, their ability to put on ideological blinders and uh, try to try to force fit data to their hypothesis. It's well, well, it's ironic because because at first this was the Chinese CCP excuse that they wanted, but then by the end of February, no later than the the Chinese had already like in papers said, yeah, this this can't be the origin because there's cases that predate it. And even John Go John Cohen, in I think January 26th of 2020, he wrote an article stating, like within the title, that this is, it, the market is probably not the source. And so it's, it's, it's ironic and, well, it's not ironic, but it's telling that as the kind of protector of Fauci as science, three years later, he's like really pushing this hypothesis when he himself wrote an article before the end of January that it, the market wasn't the origin. So it, it shifted from becoming this, like the Chinese didn't really want it to be this, but they definitely didn't want it to be from the, the WIV. Whereas the Americans, everybody else, the West is trying to pin it on this because they don't want to be honest about where it actually, you know, that it actually derives from engineering. So just some background. Uh, so a quick question for you, Steve. If you, 
if you had to point at a culprit for the origin, but I, I know it's you can never do with certainty, but could you sort of rank order a couple of um, sources that you do think uh, would could be the source for SARS? Yes, I I, I tend uh, towards a research uh, related origin. Uh, I'm probably 75, 25, I would say, uh, research origin. Uh, the I shifted, you know, when Picar et al. and Warabi et al. came out because uh, to me it was so flawed that work. And I thought, well, if that's the best case for zoonosis, then, uh, you know, that only really leaves the research related um, source and so I, I tend oh, toward it. But, Steve, yeah. are you taking into account uh, the photo from Eddie Holmes? Surely that seals the deal, <laughs> no? <laughs> that, that was from, I think they're claiming that was from the same stall that this sample is from, the, the that, magical that sample. And, uh, <laughs> incredible. And was this, you know, and obviously that can't have been the same animal, right? That, um, that was a long time ago, but. Um, but apparently one of its descendants, you know, infected two people with two different lineages uh, right. six years later. So, uh, yeah, no, I that that type of thing actually pushed me the other way. So, you know, that sort of nonsense was, um, you know, again, I'm thinking if that's the best they can come up with, then, then you know, it, it's looking more, more and more like, you know, a lab leak. Um, uh, yeah, so... Um, that, you know, my my own personal view, well, look, when this started, et cetera, I was like, yeah, they've, someone's goofed up in a lab and the, the cover-up was, you know, to, to stop pointing at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. But as the years have gone by, I'm, a, I'm afraid I've found myself just um, more and more in the... the bio warfare space and um yeah I, I wondered if you had a, any thoughts or feelings about that particular aspect the search for the search for pathogens the medical countermeasure industry just seems written all over this from my perspective um how do you feel about that uh, as to whether it's a it has a potential military yeah aspect. yeah yeah um well that's not my domain so i i'm i'm not um really you know f uh familiar with that topic um and i'm sure charles charles is is a lot more you know familiar uh than, than me but um but it it just seems that um there's something fishy going on with uh the um biodefense you know this biodefense effort uh, in the United States. Uh, they moved the funding under the NIAID umbrella. It seems that Tony Fauci got the majority of his salary um, from that. And then in addition, EcoHealth Lights actually got most of its funding from the, the, the DOD. And uh, so there, there seems to be that element there that's uh, involved in this type of research. Uh, and even if it's bona fide, you know, well supposedly well-intentioned uh, biomedical research, Richard E. Bright makes the point that um, 
it's still a, a, a biological weapon agent. Right. So it may not for, be intended that way. Yeah. yeah, it could it could be used that way, of course. Um, and it's it's analogous to whenever you uh, uncover some new neurotoxin, right? Um, it could, of course, be used for offensive purposes. And uh, so if you have a program that's <laughs> dedicated to <laughs> discovering new neurotoxins, uh, you know, it it's you might ask yourself, well, what is what is the purpose behind that? Is it truly biomedical is there something else behind it yeah and you know this the data just keeps coming out pointing at pointing towards impacts on central nervous system i was going through papers yesterday looking at you know the, the evidence is coming out now that it's impacting dopaminergic neurons and you know this this pulls us into the uh, long-term incapacitation domain and there was an another paper that popped out this week, or last week, um, which was from German group where they were finding spike protein in the marrow of the skull, mm -hmm. the meninges, the brain parenchyma, and um, this was this was replicated in an animal model. Plus, they were finding it in autopsy data. Now, you know, there's. It, it's not clear if the autopsy data was, you know, how, how much vaccines had played a role in that expression profile, but um, it's it's very concerning that, you know, we just keep so, know, circling the drain, I guess, around this terrible um, military idea of incapacitation and long, uh, and making it long, long term and you know this is this is why it's so important to get through all this data and and, and blow apart this edifice that these um you know the, the academics have been gorging themselves on this military money right and they're just desperate to <laughs> cling onto it and and feign um innocence as well at the at, at the same time uh, it's all nauseating for me um, um so uh, i guess because steve has looked at all these sequences much more than well, i mean i don't even know how like, literally everything i've learned has been as i've been going along just trying to read enough and pick up enough that i could not like actually sound like i'm like i actually know something about the topic instead of being a complete idiot and um so I was curious if you had read um, Breakfast Dog's most recent article where he was talking about the like SARS, the original SARS, as potentially artificial. If, you, if you'd seen that yet, I think that's for you, Steve. Oh uh, yeah. no, I, I think I, I read, I saw something on on Twitter, but I haven't looked into that in more uh, detail and. Yeah. I mean, that's not a, that's not a, a bad thing because really what, what I'm curious about is, and most people aren't going to know this, but what I recall from you and how you ultimately came to drastic was that we were, we were working on the fuse and then we released it, but you kind of came 
and you had analyzed RHCG13 and really just like you had a completely different argument than because I, I, if I want to say you you said that it actually looked like it was normal or not normal but it was natural um, based on the sample is that is that right yeah and I so yeah. yeah so so I guess I guess my my question is that because um, you you came in as a as a contrarian and I don't know exactly how after that you ended up becoming one of us but i mean i couldn't really tell you it just kind of it kind of happened to me too and by osmosis uh, yeah <laughs> and because so i guess so i'm what i'm really curious about and what i know that you would feel more versed in is rhg 13 and the two zhushan viruses zxc21 and zc45 because, like last time, because I've, I've tried to follow this, and and a lot of us have thought that all three of those are artificial, and that they may have been, depending on who you talk to, they may have been like stepping stones towards SARS-CoV-2 or something like that. And especially because those two Zhushan viruses and RHG13 are the only sort of viruses that have the any of the HIV-like inserts. And so since that's been like a major turn and focus of my research, because that ties into diffuse, I guess what I'm curious about is like your thoughts on how, you, like if you think those are natural, artificial, which ones might be, because really what I'm trying to do is from my side is determine, okay, did this really come from work in China? Or is it possible that it came from somewhere else, like like the United States initially? Um, but I, but those three in particular, I think, were really. I mean, well, that's where I'm focused right now. So I, I'm curious as your thoughts on those three. Yeah. So so RITD thirteen that was sort of what what got me into the whole uh, the whole topic because uh, I could see that there were. All of these anomalies that had been reported by, you know, Drastic et al. and all all the other independent investigators. So there's clearly something up with that sample. Uh, and then, so I started digging into that sample, and then um, I, uh, I I found that it, you know, I basically I determined that it was um, from a from a bat. There was all sorts of speculation about the nature of that sample. Um, because there are only very few bacterial reads in it, and that's not consistent with a fecal swab, which is what it was described as. So, um, so I managed to determine it was indeed from a bat, and it was from uh, Rhinolophosphenes um, specifically. Uh, and then um, I started looking more closely at um, some of the other sequences in there, and it it seemed I, I found patterns of um, of uh, cell division in there. Um, and uh, so essentially what that sample represents is what's called a transcriptome, so, which is a big surprise to me because it's supposed to be a fecal swab, which is supposed to be, as you know, dominated by bacteria. And then it turns out to be a transcriptome, which looks like it's bat tissue. Um, and so I started looking at the transcripts on that, and uh, they, I found signatures of cell division. And so at that point, 
my uh, you know my hypothesis was that it was um, from a, a live culture essentially, so a cell line, a bat cell line. Um, gotcha. And but then also I thought, well, it could also be from tissue. I can't really distinguish. Uh, and then um, I, I've continued with that analysis, and um, and I keep getting I keep getting sidetracked with all these raccoon dog things going on, and all these other things. I, I know the feeling. Yeah. And, and, and so we must rehabilitate the raccoons, though. That's been my mission. Yeah. That's the full escape. They've been scapegoated, haven't they? Yes. So uh, very much. Those poor trash pandas. Yeah. 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 So uh, I've been meaning to publish, you know, the final installment of my analysis, which people, you know, may agree with or disagree with. But um, my view has strengthened that it's it's actually from tissue. Uh, it's been missampled. That's my opinion. I will post these results um, soon after this raccoon dog stuff has gone away, and uh, and then you know people can look for themselves at the data. I've actually presented this to the. Uh, so-called uh, Paris group, and uh, so and uh, folk, folks were a little bit disappointed, to be honest. Uh, that was my sort of reading um, because you know it, it's so it became it was so iconic and uh, it was such a, a strange anomaly and all this the shenanigans with the description of it and the mystery of its provenance and all of that and uh, so so I mean to do that and so my position is with RATG thirteen is that the sample is natural. Uh, and so I think that the um, yeah the the background reads look look natural to me there you know and they um, uh, I I from therefore I think that the um, the sequence itself is wild type uh, although there are some workers who think that um, it's been manipulated so the the actual sequence itself has been manipulated and there's been some discussion as to how feasible that would be and indeed it is feasible to do that uh, it would appear but. Um, you know whether that's actually the case or not is uh, is another question. But th this sort of um, what you're mentioning is, I think, um, uh, you know, anomalies in these uh, in these three genomes. And so I was sort of more on the the, the wild type side of things for a while. But then, um, apart from the you know the fluid cleavage site, so I felt that you know I, I was a little bit skeptical about some of these other coronavirus genomes being engineered and. But I thought that the furin cleavage site wasn't a, a true anomaly in, in SARS-CoV-2. But then Alex, Valentin, and Tony published their paper on the restriction site fingerprint. And then that changed my my viewpoint. And now what I think is that, um, you know, your your perspective here and uh, your, your viewpoint, I think, is, um, is uh, you know, is to me is becoming more... Um, sort of um uh, pertinent because in the light of that um uh right. restriction site digestion pattern which i find um quite convincing i mean it's not a proof that it's it's engineered but it's 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 certainly uh unnatural looking and um and that's another unnatural feature of SARS-CoV-2 and then of course we do know that they were you know um generating infectious clones and and planning to put furin cleavage sites into them and swap, swap around the RBD. And so now it opens the possibility that the RBD, the uh, receptor binding do domain was also swapped. And then, um, you know, then it does open up uh, the these other um, uh, viruses um, as to their, their true nature. 
Yeah, and that's really been um, pretty much since September of 2021. So, like, I guess right around the time that you were kind of coming over, I've been mostly just researching censorship and then researching the epidemiology in Japan. And then, uh, you know, because I was the conduit for the diffused documents, I that kind of like we didn't actually i didn't realize i mean major murphy didn't realize i don't think any of us realized we hoped that it would that people would understand what it was but but there's actually a lot of um, concern that it, when we released it that it people wouldn't be able to like they wouldn't realize what it actually meant and so that was part of the reason why like I made the decision, like we made the decision to, like we were going to release the documents, but we were going to release it with an analysis of it, and and ultimately, like I, I thought that it was best for all of us because they des we deserved to have that recognition and we deserved to be able to do something as drastic, so that people could see us as more professional than than they did. Um, and so that's that's really why we we went through and we analyzed it and provided like an, an unbiased nonpartisan explanation. Okay, this is what we see in here, and we didn't even release it through any newspaper or something because that was the original plan. But I, I didn't want there to be any politics involved in, in it at all. And but as I came to understand what what was in there, I realized that. There were, I mean, there's really four or five big pieces of the puzzle that they literally state, hey, we want, we, this is what we want to do in, in 2018. And here in late 2019, we see a virus that contains so many of these different aspects. Obviously, the fear included site was one and a very specific. Um, targeting very specific human proteas in a site that this cleavage site was all, already adequate. It didn't need a different, it didn't need anything else. It was a, it was a functional cleavage site prior to um, this being, this being inserted there. And, and but there was that, there was the fact that it's chimera, which was, it took a full year before that was like confirmed or well, I would, I call it confirmed, but there can't say for sure. But then there was also the fact that there were these interferon dysregulation aspects to it. And there was also the, the DC sign receptor or DC sign pathway, which is, is very kind of specific towards dendritic cells, which are part of our immune system. And the, the fact that those the, the three inserts, and this is why those two Zhushan viruses are so interesting to me, because those three inserts, they're not just from the variable loops on HIV, which are the things that they mutate quickly, and it allows the virus to quickly mutate and, and stay defended from your body's defenses, and that's HIV. But 
they magically transported, but they flipped around their sequence <laughs> and landed on a completely different virus, completely different construction of spike, but managed to land right in their very three variable loops of SARS-CoV-2 and happened to make those three loops the three longest loops of all the coronavirus. Um, You're saying and... about RATG13? No, no, no. Well, RATG13 and the other two viruses, they had one or two of these inserts. And so, like, the most likely thing to me as a non-scientist is when I see that, I think, okay, well, maybe these were just, like, uh, stops along the road as they were trying to, they're trying to create functional, they're trying to put these in there and create functional um, DC sign epitopes in this new virus, but they're doing it, uh, I don't know, one at a time. I, I don't know any of these genomics or anything like that. And so what I do know is that those epitopes inside the SARS-CoV-2 genome are functional. They generate antibodies or antibody responses. And many of those antibodies are the same as for that particular uh, part of um, the HIV response, and they're obviously infecting dendritic cells and going up to the T lymphocytes because people who are who are going to die from the disease most most often they have early T lymphocyte um, de like degradation. So, like everything we see says that these are functional, but they didn't call it HIV in the diffuse proposal. But that's exactly what we have. Is we have four, everything about this virus that makes it terrible, or at least the biggest things on the spike that make it terrible, they literally stated that's what they wanted to do in the diffuse proposal. And so obviously what, what I've been trying to do is prove that or falsify it, but try to build up evidence to really able to, to know as much as we can because that to me i mean if they already have evidence of intent then really what you're trying to do is is prove that it could not have happened naturally in my mind but i don't yeah so so i mean i don't, I don't even really know what it, there's like a, a question to that but um if, if there's any the thoughts you have because because i honestly i don't mind being told that these viruses are natural because then at least i can know that i need to go look somewhere else but uh but what i'm hearing overall is that even though most people didn't weren't really looking at this in the beginning they can't really rule it out because we're seeing the effects um from these specific things um you, you, yeah, mean, you mean clinically right charles that's well, well, yeah, we're, we're seeing clinically, and we're also seeing the mutations. We're seeing the genome, like, the, the, been, the bulk of the mutations in the spike have come from the vicinity, either in or in the vicinity of these inserts. And these inserts represent, you know, like, 3% of the overall, G, overall spike. It's not, it's not like 25 amino acids. But that's also almost the entire difference between this and SARS-CoV-1. So 
I, I, I guess I'm just frustrated because it seems like if anybody looked at the thing in total, the, the Bayesian analysis, when you put in all that information, should be 99 billion to 0. 0.00001. And it's just, it's bizarre to me that people aren't concatenating all that, putting it together. And uh, like, I'm not a scientist. I don't know if there's like a... Well, it's, it's very difficult at, at a scientific level when the supposed experts have obviously been playing this um, game of, uh, well, what you game you call it just just being so deceptive in how protect themselves in yeah um so yeah i mean i don't know how do you feel about those um homologies with hiv steam uh so i well so the first thing to say about you know the, the diffuse proposal is that it it provided stunning confirmation of what people have been saying drastic and others uh, and they'd been laughed at, of course, and, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd been following them on Twitter right from the start and, and been following this and, uh, you know, and it, it, um, it was stunning confirmation of what they had been saying. Um, so there's something, you know, there was an intuition there that there was something unnatural uh, that appeared unnatural and then um, this confirmed that, it, you know, it's, uh, it was quite plausible um, because they were planning to do uh, exactly what had been proposed. Uh, I've not really been uh, following as much the immune system, uh, you know, the, the, these uh, antigenic regions and the HIV inserts, and because I'm not really, uh, I'm not really familiar with immunology. So I, so I, I, I found. I feel bad. I'm not either. So. Yeah. <laughs> I find it a bit <laughs> very, very uh, uh, com a confusing topic to be honest. Oh with yeah, you. It's, it's a very so complex area. It's very it. complex, and so um, I haven't been that. I, um, I mean, there was this story, you know, the issue of. I mean, why on earth were they so um, adamant that that first paper on the HIV inserts be retracted from uh, the, the preprint server? Uh, oh, that's, that's, that's unprecedented. Don't throw me a softball like that. Don't throw me a softball like that. See. <laughs> no, well, I, but I'm, what I mean is, I mean, there's no, no smoke without fire. And why on earth? I mean, yep. the thing is, if something is wrong, that's fair enough. And all you have to do is, is, you know, you, one should just, um, say, you know, uh, it's wrong because of, you know, ABC and let the process, you know, take its course and, but intervening like that and, and forcing a retraction, even though it's, it's still up there now, but now it's got this big red letters on it saying retraction. So retracted. So, uh, that, that there is, is, you know, is, is a red flag. And so to me, and why would they do that and be so worried about that particular paper? Because there were other papers and preprints, which were, you know, um, uh, engineering orientated, lab leak orientated. They, they weren't, so visibly, um, you know, nailed like, like that one. Um, so I think one thing to say about these, uh, these potential artificial inserts is that, um, you know, if I think that one might speculate that, um, they would perhaps be maladaptive and, uh, they might mutate, um, uh, be under mutation pressure to, um, to change, but then we're not seeing this with the furin cleavage site. So, um, so I'm, I'm not sure that that's, uh, correct, but 
I think it's a question for um, you know molecular evolutionists who've stayed away from this topic in droves, unfortunately. But there's some brilliant minds in that community, and they've they've not you know uh, really wanted to address this this question. But I think the the question that you're ans asking, Charles, I think that it's um, something that could be addressed through uh, you know comparative genomics and uh, you know comparing. Uh, all coronavirus, all um, you know, sarcovirus uh, sequences to try and determine is this likely to be natural or unnatural, and then this is um, you know essentially what what um, uh, Brutella Tal did, uh, Valentin and uh, and his colleagues did that they you know did a comparison with other coronavirus genomes to show that these this restriction site signature is unlikely to arise naturally and so i think that type of approach could help answer um that that question that you're posing and i take your point that you know you've um you know you've read the diffuse diffuse proposal um and there's there's you know apparent anomalies in the the sequence and let's say the history of this this topic has been that people have notice these anomalies and then, then subsequently proven to be correct. So um, so I, I think that it's something that would would be very uh, interesting to look at. And um, and it's just a shame that, you know, people in the um, in the in the scientific community haven't um, uh, haven't wanted to address this because it's a fantastic puzzle if nothing else and it, it's a wonderful thing to get their teeth into and uh and sadly the way that you know science has been organized and arranged they're, they're frightened of 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 tackling the topic uh, I, I, i'm just sorry charles I, i'm just of the opinion that if, if you if you had the technical know-how to put, you know get dive headfirst into this and like i say call it a puzzle um and you haven't spoken up um, in my mind, these people are just as culpable right now, um, particularly with how, well, with what everyone's had to experience over the last three years. And you know, but, but then I'm, I'm very, very critical of the academic system right now as it as it exists. Uh, I think it, I think it all needs <laughs> bluntly burning to the ground and um, starting afresh because it's. Like I said, we've got this problem that we're faced with right now. And um, I wanted to ask you, what was your research background before this? Uh, well, very eclectic. So, <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm an evolutionist, a molecular evolutionist, uh, but then I've gone into a, you know, a, a wider range of topics. So um, actually, um, so uh, game theory, I got uh, recently interested in deception. So molecular deception. And, um, but then I started getting into evolutionary psychology and uh, human deception as well. And both those interests sort of drew me into the, uh, into this topic. So I first got interested in the fear and cleavage site because it's, it's a mimic. And, um, and then, um, and then I wanted to draw the link between, you know, human uh, mimicry behavior and, and potentially viruses, and if there are parallels between those. And if you use game theory, you can find these 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 parallels. And so, but I've I've done all sorts of strange things. I've worked on. I've done forensic work in the past. I've worked on 
coprolites, uh, Amerindian coprolites. I've worked on um, on cryptozoology projects. I've done biblical analysis. Um, worked on the origin of life. So all sorts of weird things. And I'm I'm like a grasshopper. I just can't focus on one thing. <laughs> well, we have lots of discussions here on on this channel about um well you know this big discussion about gnosticism i guess and oh yeah. yeah yeah maybe we'll pull you into one of those uh discussions when we do one if you're uh, you're up for it um so the from your perspective um but have you been surprised at this lack of curiosity i guess to, to, diplomatically from you know like say evolutionary biologists virologists etc and um has that shocked you um during all this yeah um yeah because uh you know it's like uh you know one of one of my motivations is just curiosity and i think i'd like to think that and i do think that you know, um, scientists are, or other scientists are driven by by curiosity, and so it's it's shocking to see the lack of curiosity with this is this topic. It's jarring, um, and as I say, it's they they do like one reason they they go into the field, um, at least in you know evolution and uh, and mathematics and and the such like is is because um, they like puzzle solving and they they like tackling these these sort of knotty knotty questions and origin questions always you know the the best types of questions and um uh, to to try and address and they're, they're very attractive they're puzzles and, and um, people like doing puzzles so you, not professional necessarily just professional scientists everybody likes doing puzzles and so um, it's a fantastic puzzle and so i've been very 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 surprised and um uh, it, you know, and even, uh, I mean, just from a purely scientific point of view of, you know, the, these sorts of questions such as, you know, Charles is pose, posing, for instance. I mean, this is new types of, new types of questions to, to address and, uh, and no, there's a lot of novelty there. And um, so it, it should be attractive from that point of view. And um, they, they've just been, it's been complete silence. Uh, and there's been a couple of, voices from uh the molecular evolution community uh and uh, you know one or two papers but um that that's been about it and it's a shame because there's so many you know clever people in that community and they you know it'd be good for them to put their talents to this particular uh problem yeah well my like i say my um <laughs> my feeling today, if, if you didn't have the balls to step into this particular arena you don't you don't deserve the the privileges that come with you know, you know the that the academy gives to you right that you know people people sort of defer to your authority when it comes to th these complex questions etc and in my mind that that's all just been yeah flushed down the toilet and um it's you know, if you had if you had to think of a way to try to solve this problem, right? Where obviously there's just too much top-down pressure on these people, and they just fear for their grants and pensions. That's what it is. 
Um, how would you how would you change things so that we the public are treated more fairly? That's a, that's a very good question, isn't it? And it's um, so that there's a problem with cent over centralization, and so decentralization is always the the key uh, to to so many things. And so if there's a way of decentralizing, you know, scientific investigation, then that would provide a solution to some of these problems. Uh, one problem is you need money to for a lot of things. So for um, to do you know, bench work and experimental work and all of that, you, you need money. And um, so to do it, and so then in order to be successful, you have to get the money uh, as an experimentalist. And so um, it um, it's sort of wired into the system, but it, um, it, it the problem is it's become so competitive uh, that people, you know, they're, as you say, it's like um, they're, they're worried about their, incomes and their, their livelihoods and that's understandable but uh, should they be in that position and um, and so it's structured in such a way that people are you know will, will do anything for for the for the for the grants and that's resulted i think during the pandemic and a lot of very good science so a lot of good sort of routine science has been done amazing stuff has been done i think but it, it's failed at the big questions and it may indeed have even caused the whole problem in the first place. And and uh, so it's this is big science. So big science has you know has failed spectacularly, and the response has failed. Public health response has failed. Um, and so with these big questions, people are afraid to speak their minds, and um, and that's because of the bureaucrats, uh, because it's it's highly centralized, and the politicians as well. Um, and if there wasn't that type of um, pressure and influence on them, if they would make it explicitly clear that you can say whatever you want, and you know you're not going to be, it's not going to be held against you. In fact, we're going to, you know, we might give you, you know, some accolades if you if you you know if you're outspoken and contrarian and happen to be right, then you know we'll we'll give you accolades. Um, so I think they could do a lot in um setting the um uh setting the, the stage and setting the uh the the environment so the current environment is due to you know to them and of course we saw some of this with uh the um uh this the you know the um this behavior of of um, fauci and collins of um you know they wanted to take down those those you know the barrington group right the, those three epidemiologists and they wanted to take them down quote unquote uh, and then um, the uh, and then they you know they immediately used this coined this phrase uh, conspiracy theorist or well, they they didn't coin it but they applied it to you know people who thought there was a lablic origin which apparently was them uh, uh, to <laughs> to start off with they were the first you know lab leak proponents and um, so in, in the, really. Uh, no, I mean the uh, in the, the the meeting, the February. Oh right, meeting, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, all of that. They were actually <laughs> rampant, you know, uh, lab leakers. Mm. <laughs> well, that's that's actually why. That's actually why. Um, that's that's really what I figured out is is that it all kind of makes sense and fits really, really well together if you look at this as 
they're trying to hide this HIV homology. And what people don't realize is that, and obviously I, I came from the military world, I'm aware of biological weapons research, and for decades, the one of the main goals has been to be able to first use incapacitating agents that aren't super lethal because the lethal ones are against the Biological Weapons Convention, but According to America, starting in 1999, um, the uh, the non-lethal ones are not subject to that. And given what we're currently seeing, that's that's concerning because this people would qualify per those definitions. They, they would say that SARS-CoV-2 is an incapacitating agent; it's not a lethal biological agent, and. That's concerning because if, if everything that we see with the sequel is, is tied to this, then the long-term impact from this in lethality, impact on economics, not even including the lockdowns or anything else, but just the, the, the long-term treatment that's going to happen, um, I mean, is it, there really is going to be tens of millions of people who will have died because of this. And... You know, for, from my perspective, and, and because I know that, <laughs> that that what they claim in the proximal origin isn't true, because scientists don't always publish everything that they do. In fact, never in history has a weapon of any kind been developed that was first talked about publicly before it could be used as a, for a strategic advantage against an enemy. Um, we, uh, my, my famous thing, that the first time I said it was to, uh, I want to say it was Christian Anderson, maybe Eddie Holmes, but this was back in the very beginning before I got uh, blocked by everyone. And I was, I was posing decent actual questions. And they used the argument, okay, well, there's no published backbone. I was like, okay, well, uh, you know, did they publish the, the backbone and the, the, the schematics for the implosion device for for the bomb that was dropped over Nagasaki? I don't recall that. Um, in fact, they still haven't 75 years later. So saying that it's not published was a ridiculous statement. They all knew it. And the fact that, that we can't even get anyone in the scientific establishment, the national academies, the like all these institutions that we build up, to, we can't get any of them except for a few people to openly call for people to be held accountable and to actually investigate. And it's disgusting because we're not talking about Sverdlovsk in 1979, where you know, like 55 people died from from anthrax. We're, whatever happened during this pandemic killed tens of millions of people directly or indirectly. And this, this is one of the biggest global events in the history of our species. And to me, I, I, I can't even fathom the notion that they would not try to figure this out. But unfortunately, I know, I know why they probably don't want to do that because anybody in their right mind would say, 
a million Americans have died or however many British have died, et cetera. How on earth could anybody justify doing anything but spending every waking moment trying to find the answer to this? And there's really only one plausible reason why they wouldn't do that. And that's because they know that, that there would be blame to be shared. And, um, and I know that, because literally all I do now is pretty much talk to scientists and doctors. And so my wife, like she, she hates talking about anything with me anymore. <laughs> I have to like, I have to like, 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 like uh, literally like focus on non COVID things and to like remember that there are other things to talk about, but, um, well, it, but it, I just I can't, I can't I can't fathom where we are at this current moment in time. It's just it's horrific to me. So that it's a it's a failure of science. It's it's more than that because it's it's a um, cancerous like growth of these um, it, weapons industries and programs. And from my perspective, we can't human race can't move on to with again excuse the pun diffused what's this bomb that's in front of us to ignore it is the um well it would be an incredibly short-sighted thing to do in my mind but the um if if there's a a link to weapons programs which there appears to be um then all all effort needs to be poured onto this because we know we know what we're going to get which is Oh, you you can't, Peon. You can't know these things because uh, national security is at stake right now, and it's it's well again the fact that and you know God God bless Steve for you know, stepping in to the breach and doing this type of analysis. I w I wouldn't have been able to do it, um, and you know the. And like I said, I don't want to delve too much into your, your private affairs, Steve, uh, with respect to what you were doing. I, 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 is this sort of chewing into your regular um, duties? I don't know, like uh, family jobs, etc. Or do you actually have the time to? Um, well, you, you're putting so much effort in, right, and and pulling out yeah. such critical data. Yeah. So it, it, yeah, it does. So, <laughs> so it, it, but it's sort of a, it's, it's turned into sort of a hobby, I, I guess. So instead of watching TV and, and whatnot, um, I, uh, you know, I've, I've been, um, delving into this, but it's, it's been time consuming and, uh, but I, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, a uh, a, a faculty member, so I, I have, um, some leeway, um, and, uh, to some extent they're, they're happy with me if, uh, if I publish, and um, so I have quite an enlightened, um, you know, um, uh, wow. colleague regarding regarding. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a little unu it's unusual for the time being. We'll see how long that lasts. But <laughs> well, you should you shouldn't but, spend much time hanging hanging out with me then, because uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean I I've actually I met uh, Alex Washburn through Andrew Huff about a year ago, and you know I was I, I was seizing him for a while. You know, hey. You, you're smart. You actually have integrity and a brain, you know, you should, I, we need people like you, you know, people like, people like you, Steve. I mean, I, 
I didn't, I had no idea who Steve was. He just magically appeared one day and poof, he was in Jurassic. Something about RTG 13, I hadn't had a chance to read it at the time. And so I went on to, I went to ResearchGate, like, who is this dude? And I, and I read like his, one of his mimicry papers, but this was, I think, yeah, it was about the, actually, I don't remember if it was on SARS-CoV-2, but, but it was so cool because I was able to see somebody else's completely from, from a field in a direction that I'd never thought of before. I mean, I was an enlisted Marine, so, you know, I wasn't thinking about molecular mimicry. And I just remember being like, I thought it was awesome. And to, to see, to hear these other perspectives, because, you know, you get tired of the same old stuff. And, and I guess that's why it's been exciting for me, but, but every time that happens, it's also a reminder that there's so many scientists out there who are not, you know, giving their, their talents and their time and looking at this and really, you know, doing the due diligence that needs to be done. And so I guess since I'm the only non-scientist here, I, um, I, I'm just really, I'm just really brokenhearted about the fact that, and I wrote about this two years ago, that what Fauci was doing, you know, regardless of, of where the virus came from, the way that they've handled this, he and Farrar and, and the others who are at the top, they have, they've made it so that, um, I mean, if they go down, they're going to take public's appreciation of science with them for generations or, or a generation at least. And this is the absolute worst moment in human history for us to lose faith in our science. I mean, here we are on the brink of all this, you know, singularity or whatever, and they choose this moment in time right now when we call on scientists and this is their chance to be the heroes and they take a giant shit all over humanity. No matter what happened with this virus, the way they handled it was just completely backwards. And I don't know, I guess, I, I, I'm hoping that there's hope somewhere. <laughs> I'm hoping that there's some some leadership in science that's going to to write this shit. But at the same time, we also need to have that accountability because if we don't, um, this doesn't get better. You know, the reason that they didn't have nuclear wars is because when they dropped Hiroshima bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, it was so horrific, even for people who. Who'd, who'd been through a war where they were firebombing cities and but to have to get to the point where you had a single bomb that was doing this much damage and killing 50,000 people at the time um, th that that was just another scale it was too much and it was enough because people because the Japanese saw that they saw the you know the child bomb and they saw cities vaporized that was burned into their memory. And I don't mean to make this sound like a pun, but I mean, they, that became a part of consciousness. And, and because, because the world was like, observed that, 
it, it went a long way towards preventing that from ever happening on a much larger scale. And that is not what we have right now. And so my fear is that if this was what I think it is, uh, or even if it's not, um, this has shown us what could happen. And if we refuse to like just face what you know, Dr. Quay or Ebright or Jurassic or whoever, if they refuse to, to do anything with that, um, I'm terrified about what that means for my kids because, well, because I, I know I've lost that trust in science. And the, the only good thing, the good thing that I have, the good thing that I've seen is I've seen scientists come forward, like, like both of you and, and everybody else, come forward and said that things that need to be said and are willing to put in the work and willing to stand up and investigate and do things. And I've seen lots of other people do that too. But none of the people that were in charge of these institutions were among those people that made those right decisions. So it, it's a very bittersweet experience for me. But I hope that, uh, like, like, I'm proud to be able to have met you and, and Kevin and all these other people. And uh, I don't know. I, I guess I'm curious about how you feel like moving forward. Do you think that science can recover? <laughs> and do you, do you want it to recover <laughs> if it's going to be the same as, as it is right now? Uh, so I, 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 I take your, your point, uh, the analogy here between, um, you know, the, um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki and, and the response to that. And, uh, and that it seems to be the opposite with, uh, with this in that, um, as a response to the, uh, pandemic, uh, we're getting a multiplication of gain of function funding experiments, uh, BSL, right. or laboratories, etc. Um, so it's exactly the wrong response and, uh, it's, leading to the likelihood of a, you know, of, a, of another um, pandemic. So, you know, I see that, um, you know, the, the lessons uh, have not been learned. And I agree with you uh, regarding the, um, you know, the, the response to this question, but also the other big questions such as, you know, the vaccination, do we, do we mandate, um, the lockdowns, do we, uh, you know, this over-reliance on these, uh, these very inaccurate models. And, um, and I think you have this phrase of philosopher Kings that you use that, yeah. uh, yeah, that, that somehow they've become elevated into this, into dictators essentially, and they can't be challenged. And, you know, people who challenge them are, are censored. Uh, even when they're they're blatantly wrong, which uh, frequently it seems they they are, um, and so this is this is a new development, I think, and uh, and I I don't see that um, that I mean people realize this, and uh, and I I do think that people have lost trust uh, in uh, in the authority of of uh, of um, of academics not that necessarily they 
you know, certain fields, <laughs> maybe they never had that trust. But I think in in the in the natural sciences, they 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 you know expected some objectivity there, and and I think that um, given all of these fiascos over you know the virus that wasn't a, uh, the vaccine that wasn't a vaccine and then uh, the uh, the non-existence of a, of a convincing argument for lockdowns other than just panic uh, and part of which by the way was induced by these you know exaggerated models and um and then you know the origins question and all of these things have been you know these have a direct impact on people and there's been a um a, a failure of leadership as as you say and and, and um they're not uh, you know they're not showing a good example of of um you know presenting the facts to people in a dispassionate way and being objective and neutral and that hasn't been happening at all uh and i think that um i suppose part of that is the government you know overreach that the tentacles of government and the party system is you know, is is in every part of you know of uh, of um, of uh, of the uh, you know of the bureaucracy, and so uh, and so then you know they're they're beholden to this. So the, these um, scientists are not not independent at all, and so it's it's a problem of the way that um, you know the social contract and the way that government is structured, and um, and people have lost their voice. Uh, uh, as you also said, that um, you know that um, they shouldn't be allowed to do these dangerous experiments. They they should be you know um, accountable to people, and there should be academic freedom. Yeah. But um, they're, they're, if it's dangerous, then it affects everybody, of course. And so uh, you know they they should be accountable to the uh, to the general public. And uh, during during the uh, the whole crisis. Um, they uh they weren't at all were they they're like godlike figures and uh yeah and uh could get away with anything pretty much it seems well there's a, there's a comment in the chat that maybe you might appreciate which says science will not recover it's based on the ancient principles of gnostic hermeticism oh yeah I... and uh who have gnosis hidden knowledge experts they have technocratic agenda linked to ancient mysticism yeah i'm i mean I, mean, I was a historian, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, is there? Uh, I know that was a long thread. Is there other key bits of data that you wanted to uh, point people to? Uh, well, well, in this one, um, I was just going through. Uh, so the mitochondria, right? And um, I was just showing. I mean, and you can't. I suppose you can't really see it here, but. Uh, but what I found was uh, chicken, hoary, bamboo, rat, marmot, mass palm civet, oriental rat, snake, rabbit, pheasant, hedgehog, Malayan porcupine, etc. And that was just in this one sample. So in other words, even if there was SARS-2 in there, you wouldn't be able to link it with any one of those uh, in particular. There's no way of linking it specifically to raccoon dogs, even if there was a significant you know, level, which there, there wasn't. And by the way, they didn't, you know, mention this in the raccoon dog group, didn't mention this in their report, uh, the absence of SARS-2. And they also claimed that there was um, there was no human in there. Uh, and I found, um, now this was based on their methods, which were rather biased. Um, and uh, if I could show you, um, maybe I can't see it, but um, 
Where are we? Uh, yeah, I can't. Uh, I can't find it. But I, I, I found um, human. Uh, here we go. There we go. Homo sapiens mitochondrial reads. I found twelve of them, but the coverage was two point eight percent. So it looks like there is a trace of human, and then the significance of that would be that if there, you know, that one SARS two sequence is, you know, the the one animal that was known to carry SARS two in that market, um, you know, is also present in that particular sample. Uh, and then maybe I can show you the the other thread that I did the other day, um, which was on. Um, the other viruses that are um, present in that sample. Um, and so um, so I decided to look at the other um, viruses in the uh, DNA viruses and RNA viruses. And I found an absolute cornucopia of viruses, RNA viruses in there. And, um, and they're all in this tiny, <laughs> you can't, you can't read the individual ones there, but in red, if you look in, in red, those are all the ones that RNA viruses that are linked with, um, with, uh, uh, with, yeah, with with, uh, with the animals uh, that right. were present in that sample, including a raccoon dog virus. Hmm. So I, I found a raccoon dog virus in there with pretty high coverage, fifty five percent coverage, but that is a DNA virus, so that's going to be more stable than RNA virus. But then I found also I found a canine uh, Kobu virus, which is an RNA virus, and um, and of course raccoon dogs are canids, so they're they're related to dogs, and so that was present at high high coverage uh, in the seventy percent, and uh, so um, there's there's just tons of viruses in there that are present at you know appreciable coverages, genome coverages, whereas the SARS two was only in there at um, 0.3%. And I think that's an artifact. I say Adrian and uh, Moreno have found it, uh, only a single uh, a single read there. And so the point being that the argument was being made by the raccoon dog group that, um, uh, that SARS-2 was there, but then it vanished. So <laughs> it got degraded. So trust us, it was there, but it, it, the reason it's not there is it was, <laughs> it was degraded. And so... Uh, you know, this shows that no, I mean, there, there's bunches of RNA viruses in that sample that were not degraded. So how yeah. SARS two can be differentially degraded and the the rest of them are left intact is uh... well, it's it's ironic because it's actually both both the outer membrane and like the just in in pretty much every way that they've been able to measure the virions are far more stable. The the the, the the virion, like the RNA particles that are floating around in the air, they're very stable. I mean, they, so. I mean, it, it, even down it, to it's this, just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Down to exactly down to this physical properties is. Like to the atomic yeah. force microscopy, where they've. Are you familiar with these studies, Steve? Where they they're literally poking it with this needle, and oh. they found out that it's essentially I don't know, orders of magnitude tougher than uh, oh really? yeah, yeah 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 maybe i can send you that. I, yeah i, I, I was going to send you that paper i was thought it was because they were contained in a virus in a, in a membrane i assumed that they were fragile but what, what you're telling me is that they're actually pretty tough sars yeah, is i never realized yeah sars cov 2 is and unusually yeah. so 
apparently. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Unusually pliable, like it can be smushed and and um, built and brought it without uh, okay. without losing its, its format. And which, by the way, is a uh, is one of the seven uh, types of gain of function experiments that you're that you're not supposed to do. So, in fact, right now I'm working on a list of it's it's like linked and it's got like. 50 or 60 things on there already where I go through each of the seven categories of, of types of gain to function experiments. And I show that, that all seven of those, four of them are explicitly, um, the boxes are checked just when only looking at the spike and only looking at just the four inserts on the spike. So, and that's before you look at any other part of the genome. Just just the four inserts making up the the DC sign and the uh, furin cleavage site. The fact that there's an, a super antigen like sequence behind that. So right in that one specific part, they've already checked off four of the boxes. Um, and what's disturbing and what's more controversial, which was I'm still trying to. I'm still trying to understand like how it translates, but what I've realized is that the other three categories, which deal with um, making something that is that diminishes the the protective power of therapeutics or prophylaxis or um, things that are just other antibody resistance. So the various categories of things, they are either fulfilled by the virus genome itself or by simply looking at the vaccine, which they retained epitopes that they've never retained before. And I went back to, well, now more than a hundred if you count them all, just looking at retention of different things. Um, in fact, that's what's on my, my, I have 20 windows open because I'm, I'm building um, images from different vaccine studies showing where they chopped out these epitopes, whether it's HIV or RSV or, or flu or, or MERS or SARS, they always remove certain things. And in this virus, they kept the, all of those things. And then the other piece of it is because those epitopes, they interfere and, and cause problems. But the other piece is the fact that there are certain drugs that they knew worked for SARS or that they had a high likelihood of working because of these homologies that they didn't use. And so either by withholding certain things that they knew worked or were high likelihood of working and using this, like breaking all of their own rules when it came to vaccination, all seven of those gain of function uh, criteria are met in like 10 different ways for each one. And I don't know what that means, but it means they're guilty, Charles. That's what it means. <laughs> I know what it implies. And the fact that it is so comprehensive, we have no choice. We have, we have to, to go down that rabbit hole and figure it out because because if not 
if this is like I said, what we think it is, um, and they don't, and there's no accountability. Well, then they just got away with doing exactly what they weren't supposed to do. And that would be open season for any state or non-state actor to say, well, if I can wars politics by other means, well, they nothing happened to whoever did this. So you, you can't, you cannot uncross that Rubicon. Um, and I mean, you just can't. <laughs> Uh, so they can, and they've spent all this time fiddling around with raccoon dogs in the market, etc. cetera. Um, but I mean, another project that I was working on that I don't even know if I've been able to show you, I, I may have talked about it in the past, but like the, the epidemiology of Wuhan after the initial part of the outbreak, I went through about 150 studies and and where these studies were not directly tied to like broad, large scale epidemiology, but they were, they were saying, okay, at this hospital, we had this many patients and I found enough studies from that to get a pretty good sense of the distribution of cases after December. So again, overall, and uh, I haven't published anything yet. I'm actually talking to Alex about it right now. Um, but what it shows is that there, the actual case distribution in Wuhan is off by 20% per, 20 of cases, 10,000 cases per the Chinese own peer reviewed studies and sensor approved studies from all these hospitals and stuff are showing that the, the actual distribution was about 50, 50 on each side of the river. And all of the official stuff from the CCP says it was like 65 to 35. And when that's one source versus 150 sources, most from China, most from Wuhan, saying this is what we had at our hospital, when you put that together and you concatenate it, it paints an opposite picture. And I just wish I had more time to, to actually work with it because I mean, I, I've got all the receipts, I've got all the papers and everything, but I think, I think Steve knows very well that drastic is a unique organization or lack of organization. And that's the whole the point, problem, right? <laughs> well, yeah. And the problem is that um, there's so much evidence and even now, three years later, there's so few people willing to dig into it. Um, so, I mean, it, it makes me feel good, but at the same time, it's it's kind of overwhelming because uh, I never even have enough time. Kevin knows I never have enough time to finish anything because more news comes out. Uh, so I don't know, like I, I don't know how you do it, but I hope you don't leave anytime soon because <laughs> until well, the rest of science, yeah. The world needs uh, people like Steve right now, and you know, just, yeah, just seeing all this—you know—that it's such a striking table, Steve, with the. Uh, 
Yeah, that 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 sort of uh, was was well. As I said, I developed this with over time. So it took time of, of working on you know with with uh, uh, with uh, Adrian and Dayu and uh, you know that that's the product of all of, of all of that work. So I didn't just sort of conjure it up, and uh, so it's sort of the culmination of of it. But um, it's uh, I, I agree with Charles. It's it's um, there's so much to to do and uh and I, I i you know and there's so much coming out constantly and um i was a bit annoyed about the whole raccoon dog stuff because i was working on something else at the time and then i had to sort of drop everything <laughs> <laughs> sort yeah. of wade into this and uh so but but charles your, your study sounds very 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 interesting what what you're looking at and um, and it's that very comprehensive approach which is very very effective and 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 convincing um and that's that's i think what um what uh what the lab leak proponents have that you know the uh, uh the the other camp don't don't have and even though they're dominated really by just one group it would seem which is unfortunate and there's no diversity there at all and it'd be good to hear from some bona fide zoonosis you know proponents to hear their uh, their point of view, but they're they're also silent as well, aren't they? So they've been crowded up by, by this one particular group. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you, where would you? I mean, yeah, there's a very comprehensive data set there. Where where would you look to take this to? I don't know. Keep just keep hammering nails into their coffin. So, well, I, I think that there, I mean, this, I, I hope that, you know, um, the, the corpse of the, of the market hypothesis is well and truly dead, but um, I'm not so sure that it is. It keeps uh, reviving and it keeps popping up again and bouncing. It is a zombie. It, it, it just will not die and it it um it, it uh you know so i, I unfortunately and really it is a it's a massive decoy and a massive distraction and um i'm not sure that that was the intention behind it and i i'm getting the impression that some of them have turned into sort of uh convinced themselves of it they, they you know um uh of, of the truth of it and uh, and they they sort of they're blind to to reason. Uh, that's that's um, how it's coming across. But um, so with this, um, I think um, I, I I myself don't <laughs> don't want to do too much more on it. But I I, I am going to look you know a little bit more at the the Q sixty one and and then the A twenty is the other one, which is the glove the the glove sample and uh, uh, and so then I I hope to. Uh, uh, to uh, leave it uh, the, the the market um, fascinating though it is. So the, the um, float. I'm sorry, I've forgotten her name. Float a bear, right? Have, have have you sort of crossed swords with her at all during this? Yeah, and I, I so I, I did, and um, and then she she blocked me, uh, and then of course, and then um, so she yeah I had um, some uh, you know civil interactions with her, but um, but there was a little bit of perhaps uh, you know um, ill feeling there. It seemed uh, from her side of things. I mean, we, we you know we, we disagree, so. Um, uh, but so, so what's what's her 
um, ma major point of contention with, with you, apart from the epistemic trespassing? Oh, no, I think that's the main the main. Oh, well, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that she has. Um, no, I mean, she, she's just uh, generally annoyed at lab, lab leak proponents in, you know, and, um, and so... Uh, yeah, and she, you know, she she would go through, uh, you know, threads and work and um, that I'd done, and just find like really minor, trivial little things, and and uh, and then sort of pounce on those to the exclusion of of all else, and so uh, that seems to be the tactic there, and not you know not come up with anything really substantive, but uh, do like uh, nitpicking. I'm glad I'm not a scientist because she tried to do that to me and I didn't care. She can point out whatever flaws she wants to. Um, cause I don't, I don't feel the need to, to pretend with decorum. If somebody is trying to play the semantics game, which they did, especially especially early on when scientists from the other side would actually interact with me, probably because they didn't realize it was pretty drastic yet because nobody knew who I was. But now what I've noticed is that no, no scientist will even comment. Like if I comment on their comments, they won't even comment back ever. No scientist will respond to me now at all. And I, you know, I like to think it's because they're scared. They probably just don't know who I am. But, but the truth is, is that that lack of courage is, I don't know. It, you know, it, it makes it makes their side really just not look like they have anything. Like well, they lack I, the ability to. Steve, if you're working in academia, it sounds like. Um, I'm. I, I've said this to Charles. I don't know if you agree or not, but that. For people to expect um, the cavalry to be coming from that particular uh, domain, um, I, I think they're um, they, they're misguided and they don't understand the personality type that tends to fall into academia. Um, has has is your experience mirrored that at all? Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so you know, there are the these sort of one offs, right? The outspoken maverick types um and um but generally um and you know even before this arose um i i, I found you know evolutionary biology which is my field um to be very very um uh i'm trying to think of the right word it, um conservative but not i don't mean that politically i mean it um sort of uh traditionalist um so to speak uh in terms of not really very uh uh you know um innovative and and um stay in the comfort zone and uh, don't like to challenge authority don't like to come up with anything particularly uh novel and so uh, i always felt that it was quite um uh, uh straight laced uh, so to speak, and um, and it belies this sort of image of you know the creative you know creatives uh, scientists as creatives, which there's a few, but uh, many are not, and particularly in the life sciences, I think they're 
they're not uh, that imaginative. They are in mathematics and physics and computer science, but but not in not in the life sciences. Um, so yeah, that that's that's my uh, general experiences, and I think part of it is the, the whole funding system that you've got to toe the line mm. in order to get funded, and then they make these attempts that they have these funding rounds that are for you know brilliant new ideas and you know innovative thinking and whatnot whatever they they label it but i don't think it's very i mean it's a well-intentioned attempt but i I don't think it's so they recognize the problem but i don't think it's that effective so so it's you know it's very incremental science is very incremental it doesn't reward the mavericks and the uh, you know the um original thinkers yeah and for me there's um well of, of course the publish or perish problem big factor as well right and so the that that limits this the space around which um scientists might be prepared to stick their head above the parapet somewhat but um the the other and you know this is just from personal experience is this um drive for you've got to get patents and spin-offs right and that that becomes uh all all encompassing approach in the sciences i found and you know you when you were giving your progress what 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 have you done towards moving moving towards getting the institute another patent um a spin-off etc and again that for me is a um it, it it's I would say existentially damaging, but it it certainly limits the again this creative space which you're you're alluding to. And have you come across that much at all? The patent push. Not not where where I where I'm where I am currently, and um, so which is which is a, a blessing really. And so, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm aware of it. Um, you know, elsewhere, and it's increasingly you know here as well and so it um it's ironic because it it's sort of that um is well intentioned in in terms of it's politicians trying to get value for their taxpayers dollars right or pounds and um they um you know so they want to see some direct economic benefit from all this investment in research and so you can understand that point of view and and that's that's the public as well i mean the general public want that also which is why you know they're pushing for it but it's um it's ironic because what it's led to is um you know a uh a corrosion really of of uh of the scientific endeavor and um, and it's led you know may have contributed to this outbreak as as well you know the push towards vaccines right as because vaccines vaccines are so valuable um and so um i'm sure that was may have been a big part of it and uh so um yes incentivizing the solution instead of incentivizing um well it's not even the solution um i I guess i would say um it, it seems like there's no interest in in getting to the vaccine point <laughs> it, it's almost as if they 
they because they need a they need that justification. Um, one of the things that I discovered is and, and realized is that is that Fauci knew about the fear and cleavage site on January 13th, by January 13th, because uh, his lieutenant, Barney Graham, finished the sequence and sent it off to Moderna to be manufactured. And one of the decisions that he explicitly had to make was whether or not to retain the fear and cleavage site. And, you, you know, if you're familiar with the timeline, at the time, that was seven days before China even announced that human-to-human -human transmission itself was happening. And so you have this instance where, where Fauci knew that, that there's pandemic-level pathogenicity uh, in this virus, because they'd always known that. They were, I mean, it was Sharon Cleveland's side was a, a main point of contention in all these debates from back a decade. And, and so th there was no doubt that when they explicitly had to make that decision that he immediately knew that it was in there. But on, on January 30th, but just before that uh, teleconference, if he, he acts like he doesn't know it's there. And even Eddie Holmes, when, when, if you listen to Eddie Holmes talk on TWIV, he was talking about how, you know, uh, Fauci didn't say much, and all he said was, you know, just tell us what the science says. But what I realized is that uh, he obviously didn't tell them, and they didn't really figure out, apparently, that he already knew that. He had to. And so for him to pretend for three weeks, like when it finally comes up, that, oh, oh well, that's interesting. Well, yes. Well, Kristen, you, you let me know. And then if, uh, yeah, we might need to call the FBI. That's right. I forgot about that. But but he but he had already it was he already knew about it. It was already in the vaccine. They'd already decided to keep it in the vaccine for the first time ever, by the way. Um so and nobody has ever, ever like obviously I've been trying, but nobody's ever brought that up. And what's really sick is that after that meeting when they were all talking about the fear and cleavage site and they knew the implications and everything. They waited six more weeks, and I went back and counted. And I, I don't even know if you've if you've read the thing where I've, I've made some of these points, but I went back and I, and I, I counted for every person who was at the, that meeting on February first. I went back and looked at every paper and article that had been written by anybody associated with that meeting, and there were thirty three before the final draft of Proximal Origin. So for six more weeks, all of the world's leading scientists said nothing about the fear and cleavage site. Yeah. To anyone, to doctors, to nurses, to, to, to literally anyone. And that, I don't know what that means. I just know that it's true. Well, corruption, I was just going to ask... Uh, uh... Has Koopman blocked you, Steve? Uh, no, she's she's one of the few that hasn't. I, I haven't really interacted much with her, so if I, I'm sure if I were to, she would block me. Mm. Wow. <laughs> As well. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, she, she, was, she was there. She was there. Mm. And she she's been very much pushing the uh, this 
Mm-hmm. Or, or their interpretation of, of this data that Steve's putting on the, the screen right now. And um, yeah, sort of, I, I don't know, sort of <laughs> a Twitter victory jig she's been engaged with. As, like the job is done now. Um, so sickening. Yeah. The, <laughs> everyone could just go about their business, uh, problem solved. And um, no one's ever asked her. Well, actually, I think I have now, but <laughs> so I don't know if I'm black now, but. But literally, no journalist has ever asked any of those 12 people why they didn't tell the world that they knew that. Well, why they didn't say, you know what, by the way, this is probably highly pathogenic and highly transmissible, so you should probably be more careful. But instead, 42 days or something later, I was getting on a plane back from Prague, and I got sick because I went through Madrid. And obviously, there's a lot of Italians and people trying to get out of I think it was the seventh. There's literally, I flew back on the eighth, and it was the day that they closed out Italy. I think. A, um, the engineer in the chat is saying Coupland was there. She saw Peter Dayzak take the picture of the toilet. Is that true? <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, yeah, she was one of the members of the of the investigation. Yeah, I, I, I know she was. I guess uh, they were all grouped together as they toured around the the market. But um, I didn't I didn't realize that was Dayzak's picture. Didn't know that. He's, yeah, yeah, because because I found it in his uh, in his brief that he gave to the FBI and other people, other government officials whenever he came back from that. And, and what that they they just didn't think of the toilet as a compound. That just blows my mind. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but I want to thank him. I mean, if if I wasn't blocked by him, I would thank him. <laughs> so they had a picture of the raccoon dog, which was appears to be wrong, and then they also weirdly had a picture of the the toilets, but they. They didn't pay any attention to that. So yeah, they didn't bother mentioning Fantastic it detectives, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's yeah. mind-boggling. It, it's oh literally... no, it gets better. It gets better on the same slide. On the same slide as that, if I remember correctly, might be on the one before or whatever. But he describes um, how they how they were testing all of the all the employees of, of the WIV, and he. he his description there and his description in the other report, the actual report, is different. And basically, um, it's com- because in the non-public one, they mentioned that there was like, like a couple of employees that tested positive or something. But in the public report, it was zero. And and those are and there's there are hundreds. Of little nuggets like that, that to this day still haven't. Well, that's that's realized. what happens when you're lying, right? You you um you build all these little errors in that eventually it, it'll implode on itself. But um, but only if you only if only if you're allowed to look. Right. Yeah, it, it's crazy. Uh, I I know that. Uh, Steve has probably seen all sorts of stuff like that. I mean, I know that they came across, uh, she's having right, uh, like a MERS like virus. Uh, oh, yeah, that's another thing. Oh, I don't know if you want to save that for another stream. And the NEPA, or I don't know if I remember if, he, if y'all found the NEPA or not. It might have just been Dr. Quay, but. Um, Wasn't that Adrian? And uh, yeah, yeah that was, that was uh, uh, Adrian, uh, Stephen, Dayu. Uh, yeah, they they found that they found that early on, so that was one of the very first um, 
examples of, of mining these data sets for uh, you know the this cross contamination and and uh, so that was one of the very first papers of that type um, that they published and then then we've been doing you know a lot subsequently but um, that was sort of trailblazing I would say that that work mm -hmm. yeah very, very much so and the well the <laughs> issue is is that it points to biowarfare type investigations i would say by by this um infectious clone of uh nipper in there right. yeah in china why 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 does yeah i mean SARS you can understand in china but nipper is not is from bangladesh as far as i recall and so yeah so why, why would you want to study it in in china yeah, it just uh, it don't look good. <laughs> no, so. Well, but they they studied it in the UK as well, and um, the US and Canada, etc. So why why do all these countries want to study it? And the excuse they give is, well, you know, if there's a NEPA outbreak, then we'll be we'll be able to leap into the rescue. But um, I don't know that that it's it's um, it's to be honest, I don't think these hemorrhagic fevers are that dangerous, and then. Charles made the point that um, you know these incapacitating type illnesses are more devastating than these hemorrhagics because you know basically you drop dead before you had chance to infect too many people, whereas these uh, right. asymptomatic ones uh, can be absolutely devastating. And and that actually brings to mind a, a comment by uh, Francois Balou. Of Professor Baloo on on Twitter, and he made this comment that he didn't think it was worth. It couldn't be a a, a bioweapon sort of part of a bioweapon program because, um, you know, uh, he'd spoken to somebody apparently, but he couldn't say who, and they they had told him that. Trust me, bro. <laughs> they had told Trust him. Trust me, bro. Um, yeah. The, the, yeah, right, and it, it that it's um uh that it's not an effective bioweapon because it's you know of its of its you know inefficient nature and then but what what charles was saying you know earlier would would belie that uh well, did, claim. did you ever see that i made a thread where i because i found this paper that had that had looked at uh, 33 known or potential bio weapons agents and had like graded them on a scale of one to three based upon their um their attractiveness as a bioweapon in 12 different categories and and i mean that's the space that i came from so it wasn't really surprising to me um but what i what i discovered is that the same group of like these european uh former seaburn officers from different countries like generals and whatever they got together again in 2022 and for whatever reason, they decided to to grade SARS-CoV-2 according to the same metrics they had in 2018 with all these other viruses, and they didn't they didn't like redo the analysis or anything. But what what happened is that out of the what became 34, uh, I took it and I put it into a little graphic. I said, you know what? Because uh, uh, I was trying to kind of get people's mindset. To realize that high lethality is not necessarily that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what somebody would want in a military biological weapon because 
the other thing besides people dying quickly is that it's pretty obvious, you know, kind of, you know, like Ebola in 2014, where it's pretty obvious that if you know anything about that, that Ebola Zaire, which is the most deadly strain of the five, uh, it had never been seen outside of Central Africa. And here it was 2,000 miles away, popping up in Liberia and Sierra Leone and Guinea. So, and it just so happened that there was a lab in Sierra Leone run by Scripps and uh, Tulane. So Christian Anderson and Gary, uh, Robert Gary. And Robert Gary was there and he was actually, he was kicked out and Scripps kicked out. Like they, they, the entire viral hemorrhagic fever consortium was kicked out of Kanima, of the Kanima lab in Sierra Leone. And there was never really a good explanation given why, but they were kicked out very early on in the Ebola pandemic. And what they said was is that they were, they were, they were not like they were just failing at, at doing sequencing and, and whatever. But what seems pretty clear, and uh, Sam Husseini and Jonathan Latham have have written about this and done a really good job. But what's clear, what seems pretty clear is that uh, they were getting early sequences because there were cases in Sierra Leone, even though they weren't supposed to be for two months. And those, and the, like the doctors weren't getting their results back. <laughs> and so just shipping them off to uh, Fort Detrick. Yeah. Like <laughs> well, no, yeah. So what it appears like is that uh, they were attempting to cover up the fact that it may have come from that lab and all the effort, like all the, the locals, and all the news, like the media and everybody, like everybody in Africa, feels pretty damn sure that uh, that that's where this Ebola Zaire strain came from. Wow. But but guess but guess who after they got kicked out? Guess who wrote the origin paper with all the phylogenetics and, and everything? Christian Anderson and Robert Gary and and Andrew Rambo and I mean shoot that's another. That's another thing I did one night for six hours is I went through and I looked and I, now I've got this, this, uh, this graphic that shows like 35 different papers written by the, like Morobi and the Proximals and a couple other people literally. And that's it like Jonathan Carr. And I just take those people and show that in different places and times, that same group of people has basically led the narrative construction for the Ebola outbreak, for the origin of HIV, for the Zika virus in 2016. I don't know why they would need to do that because um, they didn't necessarily do this all this phylogenetics previous to this. But every single time that any outbreak occurred after the, the, the Oxford crew that Rogan was part of with Eddie Holmes, after they really started it with Andrew Rambo, that just continued after HIV. Like these are, these are the same scientists who were arguing with Ed Hooper back in 1999 when he was debating at the Royal Society. I, I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but, um, but, but basically the same closers who come in and clean up and half the time, they're also the people who may have caused the mess. And so people really don't understand the, 
like I literally, I can't research anything without finding just an entire another rabbit hole full of just evidence piled everywhere. These people are guilty of sin. And I, I would like to find the opposite, but I just can't. Every, literally everywhere I look, I, the same people are doing the same stuff. Um, just... So I, hopefully you're not holding your breath waiting for this natural origin. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not looking good. So are, are you familiar with that, Steve, the um, HIV origin? I, I wouldn't well, only vaguely that it was uh, associated with um, uh, vaccine development, and um, but I, I, I'm not familiar with the uh, with the details uh, at all. And um, the uh, Ebola, this is um, a, a very interesting uh, topic as well. And um, you know, once once we you know once we're done with SARS two and we've figured all of that out, then maybe I. <laughs> I might, I might take a look at the, you know, the uh, the Ebola. I'll have more time to look at it. But, um... uh, the, the, you may not have to worry about waiting. They may, they may just something else may be coming before we're done investigating this at this it, point. It, it, it may do. It may do. Yeah. Um, so, well, I mean, you know, um, uh, I guess what I meant to say is I'm sort of focused on this, and I'd love to look at. There's something. It seems like there's something in the Ebola. You know. Um, outbreak and as as charles mentioned you know the um the same folks are involved there um which you know science is very cliquey and um it, it you know and cartel like uh, at times and so that could be a, a, an explanation for that but um then you know this uh uh you know the sequence you know the a lot of the um you know the, there's a lot of truth in these sequences and um, that's how the um uh, H1N1, you know, Russian so-called Russian flu outbreak in 1977 right. was de determined to be a, uh, you know, a um, release from a, you know, from a facility uh, in that it, you know, the sequence was the same. It hadn't changed in since the 1950s. And so that seems that, legit. Yeah. An indication that it had been frozen essentially. Yeah, exactly. So it couldn't be circulating. So that actually, like, yeah. you know what? I, I just heard this. Um, and you may remember this because you were starting to interact more at this time, but I remember one of the last times I was, like when I actually started having a, a conscientious debate with uh, Angela Rasmussen and I was pointing this out. I was like, I was asking about Ebola because I knew that she had done research in that area too. And she was like her and, and the other people were talking about this case that was apparently that this Ebola went dormant in somebody is their argument and then was reactivated like five years later with no genetic uh, mutations. And I want to say this was in Angola or something, right? Like it just popped up further south and, and, um, and, and I was just sitting here thinking, and I remember like one of the last things I said to her before she blocked me was, um, well, so how are you, so, so you really, th there's a parsimonious explanation right here that, okay, you know, this is a lab leak, but instead your argument is that something that we've never seen before, <laughs> especially with Ebola <laughs> and that it just, you know, it, it was like Lazarus and just arose from the dead magically, you know, 
like 10 degrees south in latitude or something. I don't know. I just, it's so funny to me that it's, it's hard not to make fun of these people and, and just think about like in a just world, how they would be tarred and feathered and in prison. But, um, but man, the audacity sometimes I know that you're very, you, you're very, you're, you're very honest, but you're also very re respectable and you get, you know, thankfully I don't, I'm not, I don't suffer from any such uh, constraints. Um, so if, if, if not for the sake that I, I was taught well, then I think that it will be a very ugly place right now because I would have no filter whatsoever. But, but well, I, I'm it's so you, hard. You're doing, you're doing a disservice to, to, <laughs> to, to people by not just piling onto these people. They don't deserve the, the like I say, the, the cloak of academic respectability. That, that, it stinks just too much. And we have to, like I say, any, any and all methods to get under over and to plant detonation charges in the, in that what seems like a particularly noxious network and you know were it were it some other field uh perhaps th th there would be something approximating a objective investigation but it's just i think it's this medical countermeasures Biological yeah. warfare countermeasures frameworks. Yeah, that's yeah. until we until we can address that. Uh, I would just say I said to everyone, gloves off, man, and just. Uh, I say. Well, I, I do. I do want to tell Steve that that I'm not like I'm not superhuman. This is literally all I do. Like I don't do another job, so that's how I'm able to to spend eighteen hours a day doing this. It's not because. Well, it's it's not because I'm hiding from some other legitimate uh, source of work. This this is literally all I'm doing, and mostly all I've done for the last three years. So, um, thankfully, I, I was broken enough that the the government pays me for for being a disabled vet, and uh, and then other than that, I was fortunate to you know for people to notice me and eventually to to meet some cool people and have them occasionally pay me. So, but I guess I'm fortunate that I can, I, I'm able to, to cover a lot more bases, but at the same time, I, I can only go so deep. And I, I, I feel the same frustration that you feel because it seems like every time that I found some awesome evidence, um, it, it it's hard to even get people to hear it much less have it enter the broad discussion. I mean, I think diffuse is the only thing I've, I've ever, you know, done that people know about. And it was the one thing that I didn't have my name on correctly. <laughs> so, um, you know, um, it, it's, a, it's an uphill battle. And I don't know if you have any, like, I don't know how you deal with that because I know it has to be frustrating for you to know that people are actively trying to prevent you from getting this out. Yeah, it's 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 part of the game, really. And um, but academic, you know, it's it's research can be be like that um, at times. Uh, and it's it's this is where you know persistence is uh, is important. And uh, there's so many you know um, platforms now uh, that that uh, that can be used, and Twitter and preprint servers, etc. And so, 
so you know one can't you know um, censor this but um what's been happening is suppression and uh it's uh, it is uh a little frustrating um i think but i i think you know at least on uh on on twitter um you know there's there's a a large audience there and um the um uh, but you uh, you mentioned earlier the you know the um, this ratio of publications and so the uh, um, the traditional route is not has not really been open but there are these other sort of um, uh, ways of presenting you know this this information which is very very effective because people are good judges of, of this I think and uh, and they um, in some ways if it's in a journal then you know they they wouldn't necessarily see it and um, so just just picking up on your 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 what you were saying about Ebola, and I don't know if you're familiar with the um, cholera outbreak in Haiti after the um, uh, yeah the earthquake. So they mm-hmm. um, uh, it was um, there was um, a cholera outbreak um, that was attributed to um, natural causes, uh, and it was uh, some of the same actors were uh, involved in that. So Eco Health Alliance was involved in that Rita Corwell was Rita very vocal and they um now there was a book written and I, I forget the title now and I forget the author this is terrible and but um uh a book was written on this topic and essentially it was a cover-up and so um so you know the the same uh, the usual suspects sort of um uh, uh parachuted in and they they proposed that it was natural causes and it was um, deforestation um, caused mm-hmm. exposure. Every time, every time, yeah. that darn Davis deforestation. But, we humans just need to be doing better. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, it was it was a um, it was caused by a, a supranational organization, the United Nations, because the as I said before, I think the, there's some truth in these sequences. I think all the other information is is equally important as well the OSINT information but you know the the sequence of cholera was from nepal um it wasn't from the caribbean and um and so they had pieces from nepal and so that's that was the incontrovertible evidence that eventually turned the tide but it was basically they had a, a blueprint for covering up basically you know um these powerful bureaucratic organizations their activities and so um so not that it was you know it wasn't deliberate <laughs> like that but they hadn't done apparently the you know they hadn't tested the soldiers before they went in and so they they wrote a letter to the lancet apparently um so they they did it's the same strategy that they used for sars cov 2 um and then um uh, so this, some similar people were involved and so yeah, I had not thought about that, so I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, I forget the name of name of the book, but um, uh, but uh, yeah, but it was you know, and I forget all the details, but the uh, there were a lot of parallels to what has been happened to this particular cover up, and so it seems like there's a SWAT team that, that basically, whenever there's a, an outbreak, uh, sort of parachutes in and and sort of. Uh, you know, massages the narrative, but that was a case where, you know, it was actually disproven to everybody's satisfaction that it was not, in fact, you know, a a natural origin, but it was anthropogenic. It was caused by by human direct human, you know, intervention. 
Yeah. So just to <laughs> clarify that they were saying that it, it was just one of the soldiers was infected and that's what brought it in or well they had they had nepalese peacekeepers un peacekeepers there um and so uh after the uh after after the earthquake this is in 2008 i think it was uh so quite a while ago so they um they they had a peacekeeping force there uh and then um they they had a this devastating cholera outbreak uh, and um, it was ultimately traced to the actual peacekeepers. So the Nepalese soldiers brought, brought it with them. So uh, I, I mean, in in that case, they would they could still sort of argue that that's uh, uh, yeah, it was a spillover, mistake, or, spillover yeah. type, just uh, wrong well, people, it, wrong it, time, and um... it, yeah, it, it it was an accident, and uh, it was a man-made accident, and but they still yeah. try to cover it up. They tried to, yeah. They tried to blame the en environmental depredations of the human race, uh, and which explains which explains the twelve thousand mile journey eastward or westward, depending on how you go, and also the twelve thousand foot journey in elevation down. <laughs> yes, and sea level. It makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. deforestation in Nepal. It's a bit like the trip from Yunnan to Wuhan, isn't it? It's, it's... I mean, not quite as long, but yeah, I mean, just ridiculous. You know? The fact that the bats don't like hibernating at that time. And... Can't fly that far, no. I mean, so... what's, what's your take on the, um, the Mojang mine and that data? Is it, is it a pre or ancestral? Is it kind of obsolete or is it? Germain. Uh, well, you know, it, it seemed to cause a lot of um, excitement at the time. And, you know, uh, I never pronounced the name. But, Are you talking about Yeah. No, the, the Indian um, Rauka. Oh, Mo um, Mona? Mona, like, yeah. Mona and Rahul? Or, it, yeah. yeah. Mona Rahalkar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so that seemed to be kind of a smoking gun somewhat and then it 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 dropped off the radar and you know i'm just wondering what steve's thoughts were on on those particular yeah i i still think it's a you know a, a, an area of, of great interest i think um there's been an you know this this link with rtg 13 is a is a key one uh, it was, you know, detective work of Mona and the Seeker that, you know, uh, managed to uncover all of that. And, uh, you know, it's the closest relative of SARS to the backbone, at least. And so it's of great importance. It's provenance and, you know, it's 1,500 miles away from uh, Wuhan, which is a major, you know, piece of circumstantial evidence uh, against a, a natural origin. Um, and so it's of, of great importance. And what seems to have happened is there seems to be have been an effort to uh, turn attention away from the Mojiang mine. Um, and so by that, I mean, there's been this effort to, you know, focus on these uh, uh, banal uh, sequences exactly. and try, try to claim there've been this multiple claims that uh, RITG 13 is not the closest relative anymore. It's now the banal sequences and that's not correct because um if uh, if you actually look at the backbone 
then the backbone if you use standard methods is still the closest relative of, of SARS-2, but they've been basically taking little portions of the banal, you know, viruses and saying, oh, hey, this matches more closely than RITG13. And certainly the receptor binding domain does. So the receptor binding domain has a high affinity in banal for human ACE2, the receptor, and as does um, SARS-2. So there is that similarity there. But the rest of the backbone, um, if you use standard methods, phylogenetic methods, still brings out RITG13 as the closest relative. But there's been this sort of campaign of um, of ob uh, of um, uh, dissembling or, or obfuscation, if you like, um, uh, attempt to muddy the waters regarding RITG13 and its its sister relationship to SARS-2. And I'm you know, I just don't know why why they would want to do that, and they've put effort into doing this. It seems, and uh, and so I, I think that there is an effort to take the world's eyes away from uh, the Mojiang mine, and to me, that's a a red flag. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I, I actually, actually agree. At the end, I think that a lot of people have have said, okay, well. The, the banal sequences, or even the uh, the Zhushan, or however you say it, sequences, they, I, <laughs> I tend to think that the since since I believe that those those two ones that were found up north near Shanghai are probably not natural, um, and everything else, especially dealing with the the ACE, like with the RBD, like all, all that stuff, all those viruses are, are no further north than Yunnan. You know, so, I, I think it's perfectly possible that the banal sequences are from where they are, but it's obvious that, like, I, I think it's far more likely that, that Yunnan is the home base of, of this, of this, like collection of viruses that have this this closer homology, and it's also where they kept going back to. I mean, so if they obviously went there for a reason, and they went there post an outbreak, I, I don't remember if it was for the first time, but but that's when they went back there. And ever since they've gone back there almost every year. Well, they're not doing that because they've run out of places to look. They're they're doing that because they they keep finding things that they want in that place. So obviously what they wanted was they wanted to find these ACE2 compatible in their high affinity viruses. And then we already know what they wanted to do with them because they, they said in fuse and they said in predict and they said in and the NIH one what they wanted to do. They wanted to figure out what was likely to spill over and fiddle with them and um, make sure they, they can learn all about all the different epitopes and, uh, you know, for peaceful purposes, because it's necessary, when, which is completely ridiculous. Um, so I, I, I would like to propose this. this to, my, my view is, right, that the discipline itself has become so rotten that, that all those banal sequences that they've put out, I don't trust them. And so, I, don't, I don't trust them either. I really don't. Um, so, 
my, I guess my question to you, Steve, is how hard would it be to just fake the data and put phantom constructs into GISAID? Uh, so I, th I think um, hmm, that's a good question. And He's been the contrarian, so this will be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it, um, it's feasible for sure. Um, one has to be careful about how, how you do it. So uh, essentially each, each sequence has a tag on it. So you have to, uh, and they're sequential, so you can't take them out, so to speak, because that would be notice noticeable. Uh, and so you'd have to replace the actual you know, maintain the tag, but replace it with another sequence. But, um, uh, you know, it, I've had a few discussions about this, and I, I think that um, it is uh, feasible to do. Um, the um, And, of course, if it's feasible, then somebody, you know, may be uh, tempted to, to do such a thing. Um, I think that um, the uh, the banals, my... my my sense with that is, well, I think Mark uh, Elwa, uh, I think that's pronunciation, uh, is is the uh, you know he's from the Pasteur Institute uh, in in France, and um, he he's done some very interesting experimental work, and he actually has proposed a, a lab a research related origin for SARS two in one of his recent preprints, and so he uh, he may be coming around to that that point of view and. Um, so for, I think it is good to scrutinize these, these sequences and try to, uh, you know, determine, uh, the, uh, veracity of the sequences given particularly, you know, the, um, the discovery that, that, uh, et al made, um, the, the pangolin sequences are, um, quite something else. And I think... <laughs> I think there's there's, there's there's things in there that are looking, you know, very um, unusual, shall we say, and that that would bear um, further uh, investigation. And um, there's there's some odd odd things and oddities that you know are um, uh, are linked with these with some of these these um, Zabaco viruses and uh, genomes. Uh, and I think they bear um, um, closer scrutiny, for sure. So, just in just thinking about trying to uh, spoof the data. I mean, how how secure is the raw data? And you know, the I'm just trying to think of ways that you could. I mean. It, it's not like there's. I mean, it's it's just combinations of four letters, right? Um, so, you know, once you know the position, can you is is it hard to go in there and sort of overwrite the data? You know, the raw oh, data. It's, it's it's very easy to. Um, I mean, to modify a, a file um, is it, very easy to to do. It's just a text file, essentially, mm. a plain text file. But um, one has to do it in such a way that it doesn't leave evidence of tampering. And so, um, but um, I think that um, it's it is feasible to insert, you know, reads of your choice and perhaps change, uh, you know, segments of of the genome. Um, it's not something an everyday sort of thing. So you'd need somebody really quite skillful to to do that but the flip side of that is you'd need somebody quite skillful to actually 
uh, be able to detect it, uh, you know, and uh, most, you know, there's not a lot of people looking at, at these data sets with that, that point of view. There are technical solutions to this issue of tampering. And um, so one can use hash, uh, hashes to um, essentially um, uh, uh, determine if something, you know, any file, if any file has been tampered with and including an NGS file and, and then so, uh, um, and so, you know, if so you generate a hash from a data set and then if it's been tampered, you'll get a different hash from, from that, uh, signature. And so, uh, Kevin McKernan has had, has come up with this idea. Well, he's, he's been using blockchain for a long time. Uh, but, um, he, yeah, you know, he's that quite is... brilliant. Another hero in, yeah. in my mind. Oh, he's a real, uh, original mind and. So he's, uh, you know, he was um, uh, proposed, you know, he put cannabis genomes on, mm. on the blockchain and, uh, you know, but I, I think, you know, it's it's immutable and it's it's permanent, right? And um, so it's, it's tamper-free. So, you know, that that's one, you know, way of doing it also is to, you know, put, put use a blockchain sort of solution that can... Um, you know, uh, with a time, a time stamp, right? And then the, the financial know. incentive, though, on the on the virus industry, for example, what's it called right now? But the it it's worth them right now because it, because it's not blockchain to be able to to go in and put in the sequences that they want to try and paint out this picture, and you know, just the way we're seeing these. I don't know if it's all of virology, but um, you know, if you're if you're tied at the hip to Fauci, I mean that's the very pinnacle of you know public science and the, um, the I don't know riches, <laughs> whatever the motivation is, etc. To um, to operate in, on that sort of level, I I never um, like that sort of thing in the science. Domain and so there's certainly no reason for them to hold back because obviously mm. the the uh if anybody was found to be in any way accountable for any part of it um well there's a reason why they're doing why they would pull out all the stops because uh well i mean this is this is one of the biggest this is one of the most impactful events on human life and society in the history of our species, simply by virtue of nothing else, of, of having affected the entire world, but but also because the implications of the technology and, and everything else, like so much rides on this. And they're I can't, I've told Kevin all the time that this is this is existential. If this is did not come from nature, then whoever is responsible and by accident or design, this is existential for them and their country. And I've, I've not, that's not been lost on me as I've literally been a military person who four years ago was on active duty and now I'm investigating what, in, at least in some part, um, my own country may be implicated in. And so, 
Yeah, but it's not just the U.S. though, Charles. It's it's. No, um, no, it's it's not. But but you have to understand that the U.S. has a very special, obnoxious place in the world, and and there's a certain. Everybody wants to knock the United States down a peg, and but at the same time, everybody also knows that. You know, there were times when we did good things, and we did, at least, occasionally. Um, we did a lot of fighting on, on not on American soil. Um, sometimes we just got uh, different reasons, and sometimes we're not. But um, I, I hate it because what they've done is they've they've made it to where the people like us. I mean, if if you're an American in particular, um, you're what they would want you to do is sit here and and you know. Uh, feel for your country and want to protect it. And I mean, I did, I fought for my country. I fought for my country. And, uh, uh, but I, at the same time, this is bigger than us. What, what, uh, whatever happened affected everybody. I don't know how Steve feels about this, but you know, a, a lot of my um, rage, I guess, um, it's uh, welcome trust and the British establishment they're all over oh this. yeah yeah i'm just saying that that um i know that our deep state or whatever you want to call it they, they don't want to do anything like i mean they killed our they killed our president 60 years ago and well and now uh, his nephew's running <laughs> for president um but but that was they were able to get away with that because they had, they had so much control and they were able to hide it and simulate so much well if the welcome trust and, and fauci and and whatever they can't they can't wait 60 years because we've progressed and as much as it doesn't seem like it sometimes we've been able to get this far with just some people on twitter we've been able to keep keep the the flame alive and uh but ironically, uh, JFK's tomb does have an eternal flame on it. But, um, but we, the world is in a completely different place, and it's because some people, including us, just refused to, like, we were willing to keep pushing. And it, if we hadn't lost so much of our freedoms in the last three years, I, I'd almost feel good, like, hey, we, we made progress. But the reality is we just, all we did was, just hold back the tide a little bit um but no it's not just it's not just the united states I, and it's clear because at that teleconference meeting the, the four countries leading pandemic advisors Fauci, koopmans roston balance and like the top three actually in the uk we're talking the entire west was at this meeting and they decided to not tell anybody and to let it spread for a little bit longer and to not worry about having people wear masks or really close on borders, et cetera. And then, well, guess what? The, the, like the same week that Proximal Origin came out, the same day as Proximal Origin came out, the Imperial College study came out. So we're talking about like the most important narrative building day in the history of humanity. Because at the time, the top two altmetric score articles came out on the same day 
on March 17th, 2020, did the Imperial College thing to scare people into the lockdowns after they had just been suppressing the existence of the Human Cleavage site and until they could come up with a, a, like a scheme to say that it was natural. And both of those things happened on the same day. So there you go right there. I mean, that's, that's, that's the ultimate example of Fauci and, and Farrar. And they were not acting in the best interest of the people of the, of the world. So it, it's definitely not just the United States, but, but I'm, the United States is typically the last people to, to take responsibility for anything. And that's not really what the world needs right now. Uh, Steve, your your views on Welcome Trust and Farrar and Yeah, I, I was very surprised at the uh the these these link the depths of these links and so they seems to supersede a national sort of priorities from what I could tell. And so, you know, that meeting was uh it was an international meeting and I suppose you could justify it from some um, you know, aspects because, you know, a pandemic is by definition international, but what they did was they, you know, they coordinated these, uh, you know, the proximal origins paper, which was, you know, an attempt to suppress dissent. And, uh, and that was, uh, not just the United States, but that was, uh, um, in the West, shall we say, I, I think, um, uh, you know, I think India, um, I've, I, I believe India was actually quite, has always yep. been quite uh, lably orientated. And so, uh, but, um, so, and then the, uh, you meant, it's interesting, you mentioned Imperial College <laughs> because that, um, same that, day, the same day, yeah. It's a very interesting story um, behind that group. And they've um, got a long track record of, uh, of uh, proposing extreme measures for uh, for for containing outbreaks, foot and foot and mouth outbreak, and BSC, and they've used this this very controversial modelling um, to justify that. And incidentally, one of those outbreaks was a a, a lab leak. Um, foot and mouth foot, one, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but his his as I my understanding is that you know it's been shown that subsequently his his predictions are incredibly over overinflated. Uh, so the empirical data doesn't, you know, um, support his, you know, his his predictions. And uh, a part of the tactic he uses is, well, you know, they, they it's because they did the lockdowns, and so therefore, you know, um, we didn't have millions of people die, and uh, so it's just purely scare tactics. But um, but it was part of it was a coordinated effort because. Um, because that study uh, was given prominence, right, in, in the in the yep. academic uh, press, and um, uh, but it was used as a justification, you know, elsewhere. So it was very it was very influential worldwide. So you know, th these efforts have not been national efforts; they've been a, a global effort. And as I say, to some extent, you could justify it. You know, you need some form of coordinated response perhaps but when it's a you know a uh, a malicious response or a, a malfeasant response then it it's it's totalitarian in nature because everybody is subject to you know on the planet or at least in the west is 
subject to you know the a, a tiny group of unaccountable philosopher kings um and then uh, but fortunately it's a, a multipolar world and um you know some places i think were well i mean not very few places were you know immune to that and sweden was one place uh, and incidentally haiti actually was uh is a is a place nobody talks about um regarding the the pandemic because they didn't implement any um form of uh, lockdown any form of uh, so masking nothing there and they had the lowest uh incident uh, mortality rate in in the western hemisphere and likewise in africa uh the vaccination rate has been the lowest of any of anywhere and they've had the lowest mortality and nobody wants to 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 talk about this so they've you know they escaped from the um you know the, the these very oppressive uh responses so but you know it's, it's it's tied to you know this coordinated response is tied to the attempt to suppress you know the the, the lab leak um you know hypothesis and it sort of went hand in hand with these uh, repressive measures and at the time i thought well maybe this is like a meant as a distraction uh from that and then then when when the ukraine war broke out i thought well this is just completely pointless and crazy and uh, i wonder if they've actually just provoked this to in order to distract people from you know the uh, congressional investigations and all oh, that. i think it's worse than that steve i think look, wow, got steve, this... you, you you have come to the right place steve this is where you belong <laughs> <laughs> It's the same group of people involved in those labs in Ukraine. Metabiota. Oh, you're right, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they, <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? And why would you want to do it in Ukraine? Well, I mean, it, partly it's because, you know, they've got a well-trained population. They're not that strong, I don't think, in life sciences. That what is what makes it sort of puzzling and um, and genomics and all of that. They're, I know why. I know why they want to do it in Ukraine. Well, they, they, they are well, yeah. <laughs> they, wanted to, they wanted to test. They wanted to have Slavic blood to test uh, certain things on because they, they can, they have the ability to tailor it more to certain, you know, certain populations and I, I can't speak for necessarily for SARS-CoV-2, but what I can say is that in this instance, there's been documents and things that have been leaked. And I, I've read things from the past where they, where they did this in Georgia as well, where they, they wanted to have the um, blood from Russian, like ethnic Russian people. So, um, Joint uh, fluid, so, synovial fluid. Yeah, <laughs> it's just kind of hard to. It's kind of hard to like. Sometimes things really are just, just devious, and I, and I don't know if you're, if you've heard anything that I've been saying about um, the Los Alamos National Laboratory or the department, the DOE uh, intelligence assessment about the origin, but I mean that's basically. What, what people don't realize is that um, the there's there's an entire lab that the United States has, that, and and the the person with the highest age index at Los Alamos National Laboratory, which includes we're talking world class nuclear physicists and etc. for the nuclear weapons, 
the number one person, highest H index is Bette Corber, who runs this HIV epitope database with several hundred thousand partial and whole sequences of, of HIV genomes. And you might say, okay, well, why does that matter? Well, well, because when we look at these tiny inserts, of, I, think, I think it's like six, six, seven, and 12 amino acids long, um, one of the things people, people were saying is, well, that can't be useful or anything. It can't be functional because they're just tiny. They're not big enough to be a full epitope. And, uh, well, my response to that would be, uh, I went through and looked at dozens of vaccine studies <laughs> that this, this group has done. And, uh, yeah, they actually have incredible precision at understanding the what these epitopes do and don't do. And, and most of what they, this lab does is take different HIV prototypes from people who are looking to make, um, and who are designing these things, and they they run simulations on their supercomputers to see, um, before they go through the hassle of building it out, what it's going to do. And so, so for me, the most damning piece of evidence I've seen is that those four inserts are are known and they are basically always removed from any vaccine candidate for HIV. Always. Like one of them occasionally pieces of it gets in. But I mean we have maps of the of the of the genome sequences and then the coverage. And uh, it's pretty damning because if you were going to make an HIV vaccine, for instance, not only would you not need these epitopes to get the antibody response that you want, but they also are negative enough that you would make sure to take them out. But instead, these are the exact epitopes that are found inside of SARS-CoV-2, an entirely different virus, and specifically on the variable loops in reverse order, <laughs> but functional, at least in terms of uh, uh, deriving an antibody response. And that that's what I'm working on right now, is continuing to flesh that out. But I mean, I've, I, I mean, Kevin can tell you, I've, I've literally not come across evidence that goes against what my gut feeling is telling me right now. It has been for the last year almost. So, uh, well, I mean, I guess the best evidence of that is that he and I will be testifying on, <laughs> on these things at some point this year. So, uh, so, but that is an example of, they spend billions of dollars They've spent a hundred billion dollars just researching HIV, not on the response, just on research, which is even adjusted for inflation is more than double the Manhattan Project, the entire Manhattan Project, just on learning about HIV and making trying to make vaccines for it, which they've never done. So, but what it does do is by learning enough about these epitopes, it makes it to where they can understand them enough to weaponize them. And I can't think of any other reason why they've spent a hundred billion dollars 
in 40 years, just analyzing and putting pieces of the sequence together and taking them apart. But I'm terrified because they intentionally did that. And then they intentionally kept certain epitopes in for the very first time. So, but that's the type of stuff that they would be willing to do in Ukraine. They'd be willing to look and get Slavic blood. <laughs> and you can bet that the Russians have continued to do this since the end of the Cold War, because back in the 70s, everybody was doing this, China included. So there's so many aspects of this that people think is science fiction. But uh, I, I can't I can't say everything <laughs> that I've ever heard, unfortunately. But I'm not. Ta I'm taking it seriously, <laughs> so that should give people an indication of, of where I stand. And whether it's Ukraine or anywhere else, um, I just. I, well, I'm very motivated to figure out where this pandemic virus came from. That's all I can say. I don't know. Do you, do you have any tidbits about Ukraine that maybe we haven't heard, Steve? Or um no, not not really i've i've not looked uh you know look, looked at it closely I, I i think though i think i think that you know the uh, the reason for i mean what is the reason for having all these labs there and uh, i think partly it's money laundering um so ukraine has been a fantastic money laundering site and it will continue to be um you know during the war and then the uh, reconstruction afterwards um but also i think there is this policy of outsourcing um, and um, the in order to avoid um, oversight and, and scrutiny and of course that was the uh, the reason for doing it at the with was you know it was cheaper number one and number two um, is cheaper because it's it's there's less you know less less oversight there and um, so I think it's part of this pattern of of uh, outsourcing things to NGOs uh, which are less accountable and then also um, outsourcing overseas uh, where there's, there's less oversight and this is a general sort of US uh, US policy unfortunately and then then that begs the question what sort of work would they want to be under less scrutiny um, and so uh, it's uh, it does seem suspicious yes uh, very very much so um i'm gonna have to wrap up because i, I just need to bathroom so much <laughs> the um the any so i spend a lot of time now sort of looking well you know there's this i don't know how much you pay attention to it but the you know there's this um no virus sort of idea circulating and also the um the premise of uh, there being nano tech in you know super nanotech in these uh, in the vaccines um and although uh, it my own personal view is that you know, the, the no virus stuff can just be shoved to one side it's not um it's not relevant but um i'm wondering what's your thoughts on what appears to be uh this push for mm, uh, in my view it seems like 
uber surveillance, right? They want they want everyone to be tr trackable, and including money, everything. Um, do, do you have any sort of views on that? How much do you think um, this whole mess sort of attempt to push in that direction? And any thoughts? Yeah, yes, I, I think um, uh, a lot of it was um, an excuse to uh, impose social control. And so the uh, um, the lockdowns, for example, was an overt attempt to uh, control people's, you know, every movement um, and every every habit. Um, and then um, the vaccination was pro the mandate, you know, mandated program, which was not well justified for those people uh was in my opinion was an attempt again to uh to coerce people um to 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 control them um and then you know things such as um, central bank digital currencies again are this attempt to uh, uh to control people so it is all about seems to be about um social control um and extreme social control and it's taking on a, a totalitarian uh nature and uh and this is you know uh, china has no program to to do that and uh, but i wonder you know if people are actually starting to rebel there and but i think perhaps the opposite is happening in in the west is that um uh, there's a surreptitious program and and people are uh, perfectly willing to uh, accept it. And so we're becoming more totalitarian here mm. uh, in, in Western countries in general. Yeah, much so. All right, gents, I've got a, <laughs> got a photo ripcord. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you, Steve, for um, yeah, very, very interesting stream. Um, well, hopefully- Yeah, it's can... really cool, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can have you back for- uh, um, discussion about gnosticism and origins uh, definitely thank thanks for the invitation and, and thanks also charles it's, it's nice nice chatting to you in person yeah uh, yeah it's, it's kind of like folks right all this stuff that you see sort of being pushed out on twitter it's it's surprisingly rare to be talking to people in real time um it really is so um yeah a little bit of history uh, being made uh, right now. All right, I'll, I'll end the call, guys. Um, Charles, I'll, I'll call you in a few minutes. Um, I still want to okay. um, talk to you about that other issue. And then um, okay. with that, I just want to... can't find the controls. Ah, there it is. <laughs> um, all right, guys, thank you very much. Steve, thank have you. a... Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Thanks. Yeah. I don't know what time it is for you, but uh, I presume it's late. So, <laughs> all right. Thank you, guys. Okay. Um, all right, folks. I've got to, like I said, pull the ripcord. I want to say uh, thank you to. Uh, I'll just. Uh, well, brew bakers. Um, so I can play the brew baker stinger uh, just as uh, acknowledgement. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then I'm out of here. So uh, remember, folks, this stream brought to you by the First and Second Amendment. Brubaker firearms uh, for where? <laughs> All those zombies. The zombies that won't die, as we mentioned. When they kick at your front door, how you gonna come? Put your hands.
That's right, folks. Free break of firearms. Get them before they get you. I'll see you in the end. I'm just going to end it there. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>